0: That and the best Carlson. Carlson, Carlson. Hoy här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson. Ingen faktiskt ingen annan Carlson spelar så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson. Carlson scores. Carlson the Pacific Carlson. Division won the All-Star Baden's game and nobody gives a shit. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dabrowski, with me, as always, for this 31-team-31-take-extravaganza, Brian Kahn.
1: Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a very special episode of the Keeping Carlson Hockey Podcast. We only do this once a year, and it's only the second time we've done it, so we can now officially call it an annual event. And Elon, it's timed perfectly with the Royal Rumble. I feel like it's a a similar theme.
0: Is it really? Is the Royal Rumble soon? Who do you think is going to win?
1: I have no idea, but I did ask a friend who knows these things and I forget his answer.
0: Okay, very helpful. Yeah, so I think it's fun. It's the all-star break. Nothing much has been happening over the last few days. I think it's a good time for us to take a step back. We're all going into sort of the later halves of our fantasy seasons. We're going to be approaching our playoffs very soon. The trade deadlines are coming up for a lot of leagues. So I think let's take a step back. We're going to look at each team in the NHL and give at least one fancy hockey take for each team. So that is a lot of content to come. We'll do our best to get through as much as we can in an hour and a half. So we cannot stall. Let's, of course, mention first that we are presented by the best fantasy hockey website out there, Dobberhockey.com. You guys know it's the place to go. It has everything. It's got great articles, daily ramblings, all the tools, like a ton of tools. They released this mid-season guys. You get a whole new set of projections for like a, a piddling amount of money. It's nothing. And the rest of the content is all free. It's amazing. Check it out, Dobberhockey.com. With that, Brian, let's get started. Team number one, we're going to go alphabetical. Maybe next year we'll go reverse alphabetical. We'll mix it up. The second year in a row, we're going to start with the Anaheim Ducks. And we've got an injury to start the show off with. John Gibson left Thursday's contest against Winnipeg with a lower body injury after Blake Wheeler slid into him. They, I saw the replay of it. It was like, come on, Blake, learn how to stop. It's not too hard. But anyway, Blake gets to go to the All Star game. John Gibson, we don't know how long he's going to be out. And that's the kind of thing with these all-star weekends. A lot of the players we're going to talk about that are injured, we don't know. They might be back for Tuesday's game or they might be out long-term. So we're going to speculate what would happen if – john gibson is out long term i guess that would mean that people should maybe be rushing to grab ryan miller while gibson is out overall though miller you know he he has great numbers overall in the year he has a 929 save percentage in 14 games it seems like an awesome guy you want to have unfortunately he's actually been lately not as good he's been roughed up in three of his last four starts so Ryan, how much confidence do you have in ryan miller being able to put up at least like let's say average numbers as a starter for the ducks if he's put in that situation
1: feels to me like ryan miller is it Jonathan Bernier comparable? Or maybe it's the other way around. In any case, they're both 915 on their career, former starters who found their way into backup roles in order to extend their careers. I mean, Ryan Miller and Jonathan Bernier don't exactly have identical career trajectories. Ryan Miller was a bona fide starter for a few years well, more than a few years. Bernier was probably a starter for a handful of years. Uh, but I still think it's fair on the whole. And of course, the other parallel you can draw is Jonathan Bernie was a 915 backup in Anaheim last year, uh, the spot where Miller currently resides on the Ducks depth chart. So, my thinking is really like I'm not saying they're exactly the same goalie, the same person. I'm just drawing a, a bunch of parallels to uh, maybe not even logically arrive at my conclusion, which is still in my mind a logical conclusion, that you could probably expect about the same from Miller if he does get starts in terms of being a 915 guy. Maybe he can go on some really big runs, win you a week or two, if Gibson is out long-term. Otherwise, I'm not expecting him to, to
0: save the lights out. What's the opposite of shoot the lights out? Be a brick wall? Okay, but I mean, <laughs> it's funny because you're saying this comparable with Bernier. Bernier's been lights out, right? For He's been a brick wall for the past few weeks. He's won owners their matchups. Ryan Miller lately has been terrible, but it seems like you're saying, overall, you think it doesn't really matter what happened before the All-Star break. You see John Gibson as a average goalie and he's not someone that's going to blow you up you should grab him he's on a good team makes sense to me
1: yeah what i was saying is that you you were wrong if you expected jonathan Bernier to play as well as he has so you shouldn't expect ryan miller to do the same but ryan miller could potentially do the same he's not like uh, a harry Sateri who we'll get to later in the
0: show yeah, we'll also talk about Bernie later in the show. We're going to talk about everybody. Okay, also on Anaheim, the lines have been shaken up lately. Actually, from Thursday, they were going with Getzlaff, Kasha, and Raquel as line one. You'll notice Corey Perry not there. We'll we'll find out what line he was on. Line two was Kessler, Cogliano, JT Brown. Line three, Henrique, Richie, and Silverberg. Then all the way down line four, Corey Perry playing with Vermette and Wagner. And then the top power play, also interesting Getzlaff, Perry, Raquel, Adam, Henrique. And Cam Fowler. So, okay, let's take a quick look at who's benefiting and who's hurting from these line combinations if they're going to stay this way. Obviously, one big benefactor is Andre Kasha, who on the top line, that's a great spot for him playing with Raquel and Getzlaff. He has four points in his last five games, so he doesn't have anything in his last two games. But, you know, small sample. Should people be rushing to grab Andre Kasha as long as he's on the first line? He's been having a really decent season. I'm curious to know if you'd rather have him or maybe the other guy who's really benefiting from these line shakeups, Adam Henrique, who's on the top power play and on a nice line with Silverberg and Richie so I mean I didn't expect that Henrique would still be fantasy relevant once Kessler and Getzlaff came back from their injuries way back when when he got traded to the Ducks but Henrik has six points in his last five games and only one of those has come on the power play so he should maybe even have a couple more if he benefits from that top power play spot I had like I said given up on him but now I feel like maybe he should be owned in a lot of formats especially while he's on this top power play
1: yeah, he could be. I'm going to go back to Kasia first, though, and say uh, that if you look even further back than you sliced it, he has 11 points in his last 13 games, and he's averaging more than three shots per game in that stretch in spite of going pretty quiet in the shots column and points column for a few games. Adam Henrique's had a great start uh, as an Anaheim Duck, or I should say had a great start as a Duck, but then had three points in 15 games, Once Getz left, came back and he was bumped down into the lineup. So it's nice to see Henrik back on track. That is a nice little line that he's found himself on. And circling back to what you've also said, Elon, he can be there because Ryan Kessler is presently with Cogliano and JT Brown. I have no idea how long that lasts. If I'm trying to choose who I want more between Kasha and Henrik, I'm going to say, well, Henrik's power play time is a luxury that... I don't know if we can rely on continuing. So I'm going to go Kasha. If you want to better try to guarantee yourself something like shots on goal on any given night, I can also see Kasha being the better guy beyond this week, assuming that Kessler gets back up to play with Silferberg before
0: too long. Okay. And then obviously the two players hurt by these line shakeups would be Ryan Kessler, who's off the top power play. I was so sure he'd come back and be on line two and a power play two. He's on neither of those things right now. And like he only has six points in 13 games. I'm very curious to know if you're going to call Ryan kessler a snoozer at this point especially in a league where we're not counting hits and face and some of these extra things that kessler's good for then you got Corey perry on line four no points in five of his last six games he had a goal and an assist versus the rangers on tuesday so i should say he has no points in five of his last six games if that makes sense anyways both of these guys seem like they might be approaching snoozer territory like could people give up on Ryan kessler and Corey perry and forget about all these peripherals like talking about straight up points
1: one thing I'm not liking about Corey Perry so far this year is that he only has 24 shots in 13 games. That's less than two shots per game. When in, uh, well, last year, we saw him beat two shots per game handily. The year before, he had just about two shots per game. Like he's always been, at least generally, except for two years ago, he's been two and a half or more shots per game with a slight dip in the middle of all those years. And right now, he is under two shots, which I'm not. I'm not happy about. And he's only got six points because he scored four times on 24 shots, which isn't something like, okay, maybe only three times. But still, that makes a big difference. Six points in 13 games is like manageable, whereas five points in 13 games seems really bad. That said, I feel like he's still getting up to full speed. He only cracked the 20-minute mark for the second time this season in Anaheim's most recent game. Uh, Like he's averaging essentially 17 minutes a night because he was eased in and I feel like maybe he's still getting up to full speed. So we'll see if he is getting back up to full speed. Keep in mind, normal ice time for him last year was just over 21 minutes. The couple years before that it was 19 and a half. This is what I want to see from him. I want to see him get these minutes for like seven or eight consecutive games. And then we'll have a sense of where he's going to be spending that time and what he's going to be doing with it. So that's Kessler. As for Perry, not someone you can consistently, like especially, we, we've talked about him before in this spot in the lineup, not someone you're that interested in. He still could be good for turns on the top power playing, could be good for turns on the top line, which makes him like a streamer or someone if you really want to be patient with. But aside from that, if you're in a, a shallower league, Corey Perry is not necessarily someone you need to hang on to in his current deployment.
0: Yeah, so we'll have to wait and see how things look after the All-Star break. Perry has been on the top power play, as Tony's pointing out in the chat room, like I said earlier. But yeah, if he's going to be online for, but how long is that really going to last? Maybe that's just teaching him a lesson or something. So it'll least we we'll can see then what happens to Kasha and with the Silverberg and all the whole situation Anaheim. Very interesting. Okay, let's move forward to the next team. Arizona Coyotes. Brian did you know that Brendan Perlini has scored in each of his last four games? And he has 12 shots overall in those games. That's averaging three shots a game. He broke 20 minutes of ice time on Thursday for his first time this year. And Perlini's been playing on line one with Derek Stepan and Richard Panik. And he's also been on the top power play with Stepan Panik, Dvorak, and Oliver ekman Larson. So all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Brendan Perlini, to me, is kind of looking like the second best forward own on Arizona, at least in a one-year league. Like I'd say, Derek Stepan is probably the guy you want the most. People might be yelling at their phones right, now saying like what about clayton keller but like keller's pointless in four of his last five games he's not in the top six he hasn't been on power play one so i'm not so interested in him i'm kind of curious to know what are your expectations in the second half for brendan perlini
1: brendan perlini is an interesting guy to look at he was picked in the first round back in 2014 12th overall started playing pro just last season with the Tucson Roadrunners, graduated from the OHL, and promptly scored 14 goals and five assists for 19 points in 17 games, which was enough to earn him a call-up to the big team in Arizona, where he scored 14 goals in 57 games for the rest of the season. He's now matched that number in 14 fewer games played so far this season. In 43 games, Perlini is also one short of last year's assist total with six So far on the season, he's got pretty Cy Young-like stat lines in his young career so far. Perlini also has the distinction of having scored 28 goals in his first 100 games, which is the best mark ever for a Coyotes rookie beginning his career. He beats Peter Mueller's previous record of 27 games played, which I don't know if that's a great bar to, to be associated with. And anyway, Perlini's four goals on his last 12 shots helped him get there. He's a career 15% shooter on 132 shots on goal, which isn't enough for us to know that he is a 15% shooter. He's going to need to take like three times as many, four times as many shots before we can really get certain about that. But there's not a whole lot of competition in Arizona other than Derek Stepan in terms of fantasy-owned. So sure, why not take him for a spin if he's out there? You're looking for some
0: goals. Could be good in a deeper league. Yeah, he's definitely someone I'll be watching. Brian, people kind of complain when we're mispronouncing player names. I don't know what they're going to do if we're mispronouncing city names. So it's Tucson, not Tucson, by the way. Did uh, I not
1: say Tucson?
0: I'm pretty sure you said Tucson.
1: That would be really crazy if so, I said Tucson.
0: It'll be fun. When I go through the edit, I'll go back and see. But I, I noted it in my Dang. brain. So since we're on Arizona, in general, like we discussed last week, I see Arizona as a good sleeper team for the second half of the year. And I'd say anti-Ranta is someone I'd be grabbing if he's available in your free agency. Like he's someone that I think has been showing himself to be very good now that he's finally like done with his injuries and he's really getting in there as a starting goalie he's only letting a couple goals for each of the past few games so you know not really a question for you brian but just want to throw it out to the listeners we said it last week i think that ranta could be a really good sleeper candidate to have a better second half than his first half and i think also guys like perlini like richard panic i mentioned online one like christian fisher uh christian Dvorak. wait they're not both named christian are they yeah oh okay, I just wrote Fisher and Dvorak in my notes. And as I was saying, I was like, that can't be right, but it is. Okay, I think all these guys could potentially be producers on your teams. But for now, I think the guys on my mind are Perlini and like I said, Anti-Ranta, he's somehow still out there.
1: You might've been thinking of Yuri Fisher and Radek Dvorak, but no, the new generation, everybody's named Christian or Brayden. I think that's more accurate. As for Anti-Ranta, we talked on this week's patron mailbag about the reasons why we think Arizona is trending up and why that could benefit Ranta and benefit you if you can get a hold of him. And of course, that patron mailbag is still available for all patrons to listen to forever
0: there you go keeping carlson.com slash patron we don't have time for promotion we gotta go to our next team we're done two teams out of 31 it's been almost 20 minutes so good for us Uh, okay boston Brad Marchand suspended five games. He still got to go to the All-Star game, but whatever, that game is silly. But yeah, so Marchand has already missed one game. He's going to be out three games next week and then one of the four games the week after for those counting. Anders Bjork got called up from the minors. He jumped to line one with Pasternak and Bergeron. He had no points of two shots in the win over Ottawa. Then you've got Danton Heinen and Ryan Spooner who have both been taking turns on the power play as like the fourth forward like while Marchand was there so now with Marshand out it's been both heinen and spooner on the top power play so all interesting people to consider heinen actually went cold for four games but now has points in each of his last two games ryan spooner had an assist yesterday and he has five points in his last six so brian how would you rank these three players for next week with Marshand out if you want to go and grab a bruin between so honors bjork danton heinen ryan spooner who do you like the best of those three
1: It's really a bit of a crapshoot, although I I think I do have a clear favorite who I would like to, to think is going to be the most successful. I'm going to say Danton Heinen is the one you want most of the three. He was dropped en masse after four pointless games, which, by the way, was his longest scoring drought of the season. And now Heinen's back on track, and I wouldn't be shy at all about adding him. We've seen much more good than bad from him this year, so I'm going to go him then then it really is a crapshoot. I don't know. I'll I'll say Anders Bjork and then Spooner because it's going to be hard for Bjork to get fewer points than Spooner if he's getting regular ice with Pasternak and Bergeron on the top line. I know Spooner has those power play minutes, which helps. It's probably about even.
0: And Spooner also plays at even strength with David Krejci, so yeah, I, I think I would go Spooner actually because I could see Bjork being bumped from the top line. Soon like, if you have to True. make a move and you if you if you have unlimited moves and you could switch on a dime, then sure. But if you have to pick for the whole week, I think I'd go Spooner. But yeah, who who knows, right? But I agree with you. Daniel Hynden's had really good runs this year. Let's see if he can keep this current one of two games so far going. Okay, next team Buffalo. Buffalo Sabres. So Kyle Akposo, Ryan O'Reilly, Rasmus Ristolainen, all on the upswing and should be owned in all formats. And I know I rushed with those names. I said Akposo, O'Reilly, Ristolainen, all guys who we were disappointed in and concerned about at some points earlier in the season, all of them on fire right now. I feel like we don't even need to dig into these guys unless like you disagree with me on any of them.
1: No, but I do want to give particular kudos to Rasmus Ristolainen, crushing it. 13 points in his last 12 games. He has at least one point in 10 of his last 12 outings. Three multi-point games currently on a five-game point streak and plenty of hits if that helps you too. What a, a finally a comeuppance for him and anyone who's been patient with him this entire time paying dividends finally.
0: Well, Brian, you could vouch for me. I've been telling you all season long that I think Rasmus Ristolainen is going to be great. Every time there's been a question on the Patreon Facebook group of this guy, Ristolainen, I've always said Ristolainen, and you've been sort of, I think, uh, giving up on him at some points.
1: No, I don't think I've ever given up on him. I I think we've seen this possibility coming, but every time Rasmus Ristolainen had a point for the last two months, he said, oh, he's heating up. So, uh, and then he didn't. He did nothing for a while. So this last time you said he's heating up,
0: you got it. Good job. (laughs) <laughs> well, you make it I don't it's odd as if I me- message you about every single player in the league every time they get a point saying he's heating up I had a feeling I mean how could he not and how could also Sam Reinhardt not continue the great run he's on right now because he's on the top power play with those three guys I mentioned as well as I guess someone else oh yeah Jack Eichel heard of him okay so yeah Sam Reinhart has been on the top power play and he's been playing lately on line two with Ryan O'Reilly he has seven points in his last five games he's a high draft pedigree guy like he's not a nobody This Sam Reinhardt he's finally starting to break out after a terrible start to the year how do you like him? compared to some of the other guys we've discussed so far. So, you know, we talked about Henrik and Perlini and Bjork and Spooner. Let, let, you know, let's, let's keep track, maybe, moving forward of our topic of these guys who are likely available in free agency. Where does Sam Reinhardt rank with these other guys to you?
1: Well, first off, I'm going to separate Danton Heinen from the pack because I'm I'm backing him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think that he's probably one of the best options that we've spoken about uh, on the show. And of, of similar groups or similar players that we're going to address, he probably still stays in the top quadrant or however you want to define but Sam Reinhardt I like him I like his upside more than those other guys you mentioned if he's finally figured something out which I'm not sure he has but as you mentioned there is pedigree there and I'm willing to take a chance on him ahead of all the rest of the group you just mentioned so before Henrik, Perlini, Bjork, Spooner not sure about Kasha that one's probably close but maybe because again, upside, he has three goals on his last nine shots for Sam Reinhardt, but two of them were on the power play. So we can credit him a little more in thinking that maybe it's sustainable than if all three goals had come at even strength. If he can hold his spot in the lineup, which has not been a given in the past, which is why we've seen inconsistency from him. And we've also seen him not be able to keep this up, even with fantastic linemates. So let's see what the next week or two brings. I'm keeping an open mind and I'm hopeful that perhaps he can start delivering on some of the upside we've been holding out on.
0: Yeah. It's just right now, this Buffalo power play is doing really well. I would want Sam Reinhardt if I could get him, if I could fit him in next week's another one of these annoying weeks where like most of the games are on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. And I believe Buffalo is playing just on those days. Maybe uh, I'll, I'll go confirm that while the next time you're talking, Brian, but yeah, so it might be hard to fit some of these guys we're talking about in, but yeah, Sam Reinhardt looking good on the other side of Kane crashing hard. He's been playing on line three with Palm and Larson on the second power play. He's pointless in five now, just two points in his last 12 games. Even his shots are down lately. Is Evander Kane starting to approach snoozer territory? Is he someone that people should start questioning if they should keep him on their roster? Or maybe should you not even worry about it because he's one of the, these like potential trade deadline deal guys that people are you know always talking about, like, oh, he's probably going to get traded at the deadline. So can we really worry too much about Evander Kane? I'm curious to know, what's your take on him overall at this point?
1: Well, you know my stance on any deadline day speculation like I'm not gonna include that in any of my fantasy hockey projections if there's a trade I'll believe it when I see it and even then we don't know how the guy's going to be deployed when he does get to his new destination so let's talk about Evander Kane and just what he's been doing in Buffalo and assume that he'll be in a similar situation the rest of the way I I know the trade rumors are flying but we're just gonna treat it that way Uh, Kane has just one goal in the last month after notching 15 goals through the first three months of the season so yeah this is going really cold for him the good news is he's still shooting plenty right at three shots per game over this drought that he's in Uh, his deployment is frustrating but I imagine Kane can bounce back a bump back into the top six of course would help that which should be doable with guys like Scott Wilson and Zemgis Gergensens playing ahead of him and that is, of course, assuming he has that opportunity when Buffalo gives up on spreading the offense around, which is clearly what they're trying to do with Kane and Pominville on the third line. But it hasn't been working. We'll see how long it either continues not to work or they decide to give it up, pop him back into the top six. And I think that will provide him some more opportunities to snap out of what he's in.
0: So you're saying you wouldn't be dropping Evander Kane if you had him right now? You wouldn't even consider it?
1: No, I'm holding on, especially if your league counts shots. He's still helping you there.
0: Yeah, they're down a little bit lately, but overall, yeah, he was, like, doing insane at the start of the year. He was among the league leaders in shots, and, like, unfortunately, he's fallen pretty far from that at this point. Okay, next team, Calgary Flames. Brian, Matthew Kachuk has 13 points in his last 13 games. That's over the past month, up to 34 points in 47 games on the season, which is a 60-point pace. We all thought that Matthew Kachuk would have a great season, but I don't think we expected him to be this good. Like, right now, with this run, like I said, up to a 60-point pace, do you think he'll continue this hot run and then break 60 on the season? Or are you expecting him to slow down a little bit at some point? Obviously, it helps that he's been bumped up to the top power play recently.
1: You know, before I even answer that question, Elon, I I want to circle back to Evander Kane because Tony is mentioning in the chat, like he's not even shooting, like certainly not at the crazy elite levels that he was at the start of the year. But if you look at his ice time, his minutes, like he's playing third line minutes now. He's lost two, three, even four minutes a night compared to some of his heavier duty nights in the past. And he's managed just seven shots over his last four games so that is super frustrating Uh, but I'm not ready to give up on on what I still think is shot on goal upside coming from him if this continues for another week then I'm really getting concerned and raising the red flag but if I have him and shots count I'm still hanging on okay Elon Okay.
0: Yeah. What? Well, now now that you say that, but like, if he's still getting third line minutes, but I know you said, oh no, I'm not even going to think about trades because who knows what's going to happen. But like, he's probably going to get traded, right? And in which case he won't be on the third line. So it's hard to give up. I'm just saying like, it's really going to be hard to drop him. So I feel like even if he continues to be bad, I would maybe hold on past the trade deadline, even though that really burned me last year with Matt Duchesne.
1: Yeah. Okay. Like I said, I'm not going to think about where he ends up with a trade. I have to assume he's going to stay where he is until something else actually happens. But you're right. A, A change of scenery, it seems as though it's due for Evander Kane. So we'll see if he does end up somewhere else and in a better situation. In that case, hopefully he does better. But we saw last year, like we saw, I think was it last year, Thomas Vanek going to Florida and having his fantasy value sunk. Marty Hansel also changed teams and he did nothing as a member of the Minnesota Wild either. So it's not always a slam dunk.
0: Well, for sure. But I mean, Evander Kane right now, if he's going to continue playing third line and losing all these minutes, can't get much worse. Anyways, okay. We got 31 teams to get through. So I already talked about Matthew Kachuk. What do you think about him?
1: I like him. I think high 50s is a fair spot to hope that Matthew Kachuk is going to land. Breaking 60 would be wonderful. Not sure if it's really where you want to set your expectations. Like, that is the bonus. That is the stretch goal. Kachuk, the good thing about him is he's still managed 11 power play points, even without being a fixture on the top power play unit. Six power play goals on 21 power play shots have certainly been a big part of him managing to collect 11 power play points from the second unit. So maybe he scores a little less often on his power play shots. Maybe he doesn't keep that percentage up, but if he can stay on the top power play unit, then perhaps that can offset any regression we'd expect to happen uh, from like uh, losing that really high super shooting percentage that he's got on the power play. And Elon, I have a Calgary flame to bring up too. Can I do that now? Of course. Is Mike Smith the most reliable fantasy goalie of 2017, 2018? He's a wild 68.3 quality start percentage second only to Pekka So I guess by that measure, Rene is the most reliable, but Renee's also started six fewer games. Uh, then you have after those two, Vasilevsky, Holtby, and Crawford, but Renee and Smith, like those are insane quality start percentages. Usually you're looking, if someone's at 60%, you're like, oh, that's really good. These guys are close to 70%. We'll see if they can keep that up through the rest of the year. And of course it means that they're giving you league average or better in an outing and not, like totally blowing up your numbers well very often at all for these guys
0: okay yeah there's one goalie that jumped to mind right away that wasn't on your list I have a feeling it might be because he hasn't played enough games to qualify for some metric you made Marc-Andre Fleury I think has been the most reliable goalie in fantasy so far this year since he's come back from injury like I feel like he's hasn't had any bad games I can't even recall one day where someone was like oh man Marc-Andre Fleury blew me up just Vegas always wins the Pacific Division won the All-Star game today surprise surprise Vegas in the Pacific Division they can't lose
1: yeah, he is up there at an 83.3 quality starts percentage, which is absolutely insane. He's only started 18 games. So you're right, Elon. I was I was filtering out for goalies who have started more than half of their team's games this year. But uh, we'll see if he can keep it up. He's never even been a 60% quality start goalie since the 2007-2008 season. So this is 10 years later and he's setting new career highs.
0: I can't wait to see what he does over the next 30 starts. I think we might touch on him later in the show. Maybe, but okay, but I mean, when's the last time Mike Smith has had a 68% quality start percentage? I feel mean, like all these guys are surprising us. I guess Peccarina's done it before, obviously. But yeah, nice to see. And for sure, Mike Smith, he's been great. Who hasn't been great, by the way? Another older guy, much older than these other players, Yermer Yager, on waivers. It's probably a firm in the NHL, right? Could be. It sounds as though uh,
1: like there's an, an agreement. Everybody knows he's just going to finish his career in Europe now. And then you have people who are saying if he th- passes through waivers and the NHL tells a joke. So we'll see what happens. I I mean, I think people will probably know by the time they hear this. So you can uh, you can shout at us wherever you are. Tell us what happened. And Elon, you said Pecorino has been this reliable before. Yeah. He's had a couple really good seasons, 67% twice is where he's topped out. And as for Mike Smith, he hasn't had the opportunity to be this reliable a goalie, just being shelled night in, night out in Arizona. So I can't totally make that comparison. Whereas Mike Andrew Fleury was playing for the best team in hockey for several of those years. So I think he has had the opportunity to be this reliable before uh, several times in the last 10 years. We'll see again if he can keep it up with Vegas. It would really be nice if he did.
0: Yeah, I mean, he was on a pretty good team on those cup winning Penguins teams, but none of them were anything like the Vegas Golden Knights of this year. Come on, Brian. Okay. Uh, let's go to our next team and then we'll take a quick break but okay, one more team before the break, Carolina Hurricanes, Sebastian Ajo has been skating with the team, so it looks like the injury isn't as serious as we feared I remember I saw it was like a concussion and a lower body injury, sounded like he could be out a while, but now it's looking like he might be back next week, so that's going to be huge for him, huge for the Hurricanes, we already talked about the huge run he was on before he got injured if he was dropped due to the injury, people need to rush to add him ASAP I think, I think that's obvious, I'm not even going to ask you about that he's up to 37 points in 45 games now, that's a 67 point pace, much higher than we even expected for him Sebastian Aho is great Brian who do you expect to have a better second half between 60 point pace Matthew Kachuk and current uh 67 point pace Sebastian Aho?
1: I'm gonna go Sebastian Aho. thanks to his bigger role also probably the better like raw skills of the two and we know Aho is going to be very involved in the Hurricanes offense as long as he's playing I expect Aho to be able to outpoint Kachuk but it, you know it's definitely going to be closer than we would have guessed at the start of
0: the year Yeah, really fun to see all these young players doing so well. Brian, what's really fun about seeing these young players is you want to be able to tell your kids one day, like 30 years from now, I saw Sebastian Ajo back when he was in his second season. You should have seen the way he skated, but you can only really say that if you saw him play live, you know? And what's the best way to get tickets to live events? It's to get them through our sponsor. For this week's episode, our friends at SeatGeek. SeatGeek is great. Buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated and confusing, but there's a better way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event, whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. Brian, I'm going to a hockey game this Wednesday, the Leafs versus the Islanders. It was a birthday present from my lovely wife. If anyone wants to buy tickets to this game through SeatGeek, tweet at us, at Keeping Carlson. Let us know. We can meet up in the intermission. Say hello.
1: Your lovely and very intelligent wife. Uh, If you're listening to our show and you've never used SeatGeek before here's something that's amazing for you specifically you get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code keeping today that's promo code K E E P I N G for $20 off your very first SeatGeek purchase tweet us when you make it let us know and tag SeatGeek
0: Brian, are you trying to one-up me here on compliments for my wife? I think that she's not only lovely and intelligent, but I think she also has a very strong work ethic. So how about that? That's she's great.
1: also she's also funny.
0: Yeah. yeah, but she also has really good taste. But anyway, enough about her. Let's talk about the Chicago Blackhawks, our next team. Somehow, Corey Crawford has gone from could miss the rest of the season to may join the Hawks on their post-All-Star Game road trip. So I'm going to stop trusting some of these sources on Twitter when they say that players are going to be out for the season. Anyways. Good buy low time if owners of Corey Crawford like haven't heard the news and still just have it in their head that he's going to be out for the season. Obviously, he has a 929 save percentage on the year. He's been great. Uh, I don't even know if there's much to say about Corey Crawford. Obviously, he's a really good goalie and that will mean that if you jumped and spent a lot of fab dollars or whatever, use your top waiver priority to get on Tam Forsberg uh or you know, Jeff Glass, like that's obviously gonna be useless because Crawford's could probably play a bunch of the games. The Hawks are gonna need him too. And then Brian, uh, another player who I think you might be able to let go of at this point is Jordan Osterley. He must be a snoozer at this point. I-, I feel bad about this. He's pointless in seven now. I liked him. He was on this hot run, he was getting all these minutes, he was even taking all these shots. I was saying on the podcast, hey everyone, take a look. It's so rare. That's why I always say, actually, in our draft strategies, I say, like, you know, you gotta draft defenseman early just because it's so rare to find like a top power play defenseman who's doing well in free agency midway through the season. Osterley was looking like he could be one of those rare gems. So, I don't know. Now he's pointless in seven. Like I said, you could probably let him go. He's still getting huge minutes. He was a plus four on Thursday. So, I mean, that's on the ice for at least four goals that he just didn't get a point on. So you'd think he could have done a little bit better, but probably until he goes on a run, you could drop him, right? Yeah,
1: Jordan Osterley qualifies as a snoozer. It was definitely surprising a lot of people who'd watched him play in Edmonton that he had suddenly ascended to offensively productive top pairing defenseman status but someone to keep on your watch list for as long as he continues getting these high-end minutes playing with Duncan Keith good things can happen as for Corey Crawford Elon I feel like it's not that you shouldn't trust the people on Twitter I mean I don't know who you got these updates from and who you're choosing to trust but this is a this seems like a very much a post-concussion situation which I think is pretty hard to predict and might have changed day to day maybe news was just being leaked way sooner than it should have been it would be really great for Chicago if he could come back he's actually been the fifth most reliable fantasy goalie this year or I guess just NHL goalie this year with a quality start percentage that ranks him fifth in the league amongst starters and yeah he can't come back a day too soon for Chicago but I still hope that they proceed with the appropriate caution
0: Well, of course, we want Corey Crawford to have a long and continued long successful career it's already been a great career but keep it going Corey Crawford the Hawks really need though to surround him with some good players maybe go on another cup run but obviously one of those players is not Patrick Sharp they signed him in the off season we mentioned on the last show that he was going to be playing on the Patrick Kane line going into the week I think I gave an over under of one and a half games before he'd get bumped obviously I was right Patrick Sharp didn't last in the top six he's done for sure Uh, so now the current lines for however long these will last which is probably like a couple games themselves but I'm kind of into them they've been running with Kane Schmaltz and Brandon Saad and then Taze with Duclair and DeBrinkert. And so that seems like a lot of players now become worth watching. Like Brandon Saad first of all has been so disappointing all year, but maybe playing with Kane and schmaltz is going to help. Then DuBrinkert and Duclair potentially become potential second half improvement players if they could stick on line 1 with Taze and you know get the associated line 1 minutes. DeBrinkert had a hat trick in his last game, three goals and one assist on Thursday. Duclair had a goal and two assists. So both of them might be worth looking at if they're available in free agency, obviously DeBrinkert over Duclair De in my opinion.
1: All of them are certainly worth watching if they're available in free agency. Uh, Saad, Brinket, Duclair, all of them have upside. We've talked about how Saad should be better than he has been so far this season. I still maintain that. I still think it, I'm, I'm really expecting a better second half than the first half. And by the way, we're saying first half and second half a lot, but more than the first half of the season is over. Just like That's a very petty thing to point out. Totally a waste of everyone's time. As for Duclair and Debrinkat specifically, I wonder if they could be the best pair of regular line mates that Jonathan Taves has had since Marion Hosa and Brandon Saad back in 2014-15. Then again, maybe not. They're both pretty unknown entities, but all good deep ads now or shallower streaming considerations. If you're not adding them, you should at least be watching.
0: Wow, big statement. Best line mates Jonathan Taves has played with are DeBrinket and Duclair. Who was he playing with last year? Even earlier this year, he was playing with Sad and DeBrinket. So I guess you think Duclair is an upgrade over Sad? Come on.
1: Well, last year, I, the thing is, he's been mixed around so much. Uh, I'm hoping that maybe this sticks, although the way Chicago's worked this season, it's pretty unlikely. Last year's most common linemate was Richard Panick, and then sometimes the third piece was Patrick Kane. Sometimes it was Nick Schmaltz. Sometimes it was Hinostróza. And then the year before that, his most common line mates were Marion Hosa and Andrew Shaw. So I, I don't know. I don't think it's that outlandish to think if both these guys can play to their upside that they could. Uh, I would love to see. I think what I'm hoping is that they stick together for 10 games, find some chemistry, make something happen. But perhaps we should know better.
0: Yes, well, yeah, obviously we'll have to wait a few weeks before we can even start talking about this as a permanent line, the way that Chicago's been going. But, okay, we got to go to our next team, Colorado Avalanche. Right, two straight losses for Jonathan Bernay after that incredible winning streak. He wasn't terrible in those two games, by the way. He had three goals against on 39 shots against Montreal and then three goals against on 34 shots at St. Louis. So if Varlamov comes back after the All-Star game, it becomes interesting, right? Like I have Varlamov. Like I've had him in our Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patriot Fantasy League Tier 2 Ottawa division. I've had him all year. He got injured. Sashed him in IR added Bernier obviously worked out very well for me Bernier has helped I was getting a little nervous though if Bernier was gonna keep doing so well and then Varlamov was going to come back from injury then I you know I, I, the way our rules are we can't just keep people in IR because our lineup's locked so I would have had to bring Varlamov back but there was no guarantee that Bernier wasn't gonna keep getting starts and I was all nervous maybe now things are working out Bernier's starting to struggle a little bit so Varlamov will just come back and recover that number one job or do you think that it's not gonna be that simple and they're gonna be trading starts for a while while Colorado tries to figure out who's their better option moving forward?
1: I don't think it's going to be very clear cut once Varlamov comes back. I think a lot will depend how Varlamov plays when he re-enters the lineup. Colorado is in a very tight battle for a playoff spot and they can't afford to have a goalie fighting their legs right now. They're probably just going to want the guy they feel like they can most depend on in that given moment. And how can you think that that is going to be Semyon Varlamov for sure? He's been a low 1910s goalie. Over the last three seasons, including this one, he was at 9.14 two years ago, 8.98 last year, 9.12 this year. I think he might have to earn his spot back because if you look at just what's happened this year, Bernier has now started only two fewer games than Varlamov on the season. And he has a save percentage that is seven points better at 9.19 compared to Varlamov's 9.12. So if you're asking me, they both played an equal amount of games. Bernier has been the better goalie. I wonder if he can hold on to the job. I think Varlamov is going to have to earn his spot back. So that's potential bad news for any Varlamov owners who didn't get Bernier yet or who did get him and now may be forced to cuff the avalanche by owning two goalies. And then, uh, yeah, that's my take there. And I also wanted to mention while we're talking about the Western playoff picture, do you know, can you believe that the Kings, the Wild, the Ducks, and Chicago are all on the outside looking in, would not qualify for the playoffs if the season ended today.
0: Wow, that's wild. There's going to be a lot of jockeying for position, I think, for the rest of the season. I'm not going to say for the second half of the season. What can I say? The second three-fifths or two-fifths of the season? Are we at that point? The second 40%. I don't
1: know. I haven't done the math. We'll call it the second half. We know what it means.
0: For this, let's make this the last episode that we'll just call it the second half just to keep things easy. Brian, I'm going to accuse you of fear-mongering i think that it's going to be fine don't worry varlamov is going to take over the starting job he's i mean varlamov he's a starting goalie on colorado not jonathan bernier come on hey, that's my opinion we'll see why uh, because he's been the starting goalie all year before he he's got been in he has not been garbage. He was really reliable for me. I'll bet you if you take that save percentage number and just look over, like, you know, ca- discount like the first few games when all the goalies were being terrible. And then also, I think there was like one game where he let in like 10 goals or something. I'll bet you if you take out that other one game, Varnoval was some pretty good. But anyways, we'll see. I'm pretty sure no, I'm going to be right. So you on, can argue with me now, but we'll just find out in a couple of weeks.
1: You don't need to say like, I bet if. I'm going to do it. Okay, I see he had a 792 outing in his 12th game of the season in early November. He next played in late November. And yeah, he was a 920 over his last 14 games. So maybe you're on into something, but still, that's only one point better than Jonathan Bernie's full season save percentage. Elon, I'm very surprised that I'm the one suddenly lobbying for Jonathan Bernier. What's happened?
0: I don't know. I think that you're going a little crazy right now. I think it's been a few days without hockey and your brain isn't working right. Like, how is uh, Jonathan Bernier going to steal the job from Semien Varlamov? It's not going to happen. Anyway, we talked about Tyson Berry last week. We said he's likely going to return this week. Didn't happen, I guess. We were saying like, okay, get him back in your lineup. It's looking like he's going to play. I guess Colorado decided to be cautious with him. I think... That Tyson Barry's gonna be back next week, pretty sure. Anyway, sometime soon. Anyway, so he's obviously gonna get back on the top power play. He's gonna bump Sam Girard. Curious to know if Sam Girard maybe gets onto power play two or if Eric Johnson gets to keep his power play two spot. it uh, probably doesn't matter. Either way, like you probably want to hold Eric Johnson just because he's been doing so well at even strength and he gives you all those peripherals. And I think either way, you probably want to drop Sam Girard.
1: Well, if you're looking for the guy who has second power play unit time, I think it's going to be Girard. He was holding down that role while Barry was healthy. And that's my guess for what will happen once he returns. I think he's the heir apparent to that top line power play unit quarterback. So I imagine they want to get him as many reps as possible. And then Eric Johnson doesn't get the power play time, but you're right. He still does a lot at even strength, plays a ton of minutes, helps you with peripherals, still a valuable fantasy own regardless.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure Eric Johnson has had more points than Sam Girard over this stretch while barry has been injured, even though Girard's been the one on the top power play. So, but Girard has been good. A lot of assists and a lot on the power play. Okay, next team, Columbus, Blue Jacks. Man, we're still in the seas. Oh my God. Okay cam atkinson returned from his foot injury and scored a goal in the 2-1 win over arizona on thursday he had four shots three hits two blocks a great stat line for cam atkinson in his return okay glass half empty he's been on a line with felino and wenberg man that's like the disappointment line of the year right cam atkinson felino and wenberg all guys that people had high hopes for going into the season and been disappointing okay glass half full man what a great line of possible second half bounce back candidates cam atkinson nick felino alex wenberg i feel like they could all improve in the second half Brian I'll be curious to know how do you see it are they like glass of empty great line that potentially is going to surprise people or is this going to be the line that just continues to disappoint by the way Wenberg also had a great game he had a power play goal and one assist Felino assisted on the Atkinson goal all three of these guys looking good meanwhile Pierre-Luc Dubois pointless in five games now if someone is holding Dubois while all three of Felino, Wenberg and Atkinson are available in free agency are they snoozing a little bit should they be swapping to a better Columbus Blue Jacket forward option Cam
1: Atkinson, I'm pretty glass half full on him. I He's probably the only guy that I'd for sure rather have over Pierre-Luc Dubois, like the one guy who has the deepest reserves of patience from me based on what I've seen from him in the past and, of course, what he keeps doing shooting. He's, a, he's the only one of he, Wenberg, and Felino to have an actual good shots on goal rate, Felino and Wenberg not taking shots in a way that'll help you if that's what you're looking for. I would like to see more from Wenberg and Felino before getting back on board with them. If it's a shallower league, then you can probably just switch back and forth between all of these guys until you know one of them drops off and you pick up the guy who's, who's on his way up. Like I wouldn't be holding on to Pierre-Luc Dubois with a death grip, thinking that 50 points is probably a nice expectation for Dubois to have the rest of the way. That's the pace he's been on all year, but also the pace that he's been on since getting this deployment bump just past the 20-game mark because of this recent slump in scoring. I'm not sure there's upside for a whole lot more than 50 for him yet in his career, which is why if you want to try taking a chance on Felino and Weinberg, eh, it's not a, not a huge... I don't see it as a big, high-stakes drop. I would do it for Atkinson, though. If you're still on the fence, I'd still be okay with holding Dubois instead of those guys. And also to go back to Colorado, not to move backwards, but you said you're pretty sure that Johnson has more points since Barry's been out compared to Girard. We don't need to be pretty sure. We have numbers in front of us that we can reference. And I can tell you, you can say that with absolute certainty. He has nine points in 13 games since Barry last played. And Gerard has seven points in 13 games since Barry last played. So both doing well. But of course, Gerard has only
0: 13 shots while Johnson has
1: 34. That's a big difference.
0: Brian you sound like my boss at work. He's always giving advice like, you know, don't ask like what would happen if you put in this code? Just try it out yourself and see. You don't have to ask. You you did a, a spot on impression right there. But okay. Anyway, stop triggering me. I'm still on the weekend, okay? I'm talking about fantasy hockey here. Let's go to D Dallas Jason Spezza has five points in his last five games. He's been back on the top power play, or at least he was on Thursday after Brett Ritchie was given that spot uh, the game before for some reason. I don't know what's what's with Dallas. Like They played Brett Ritchie and and Devin Shore on the top power play, but Spezza has been back there. He's also been on line two with Shore in the He's been like a huge disappointment this year. No one owns him at this point, I'm pretty sure. Do you have any... Uh, expectations of spezza to continue this nice run he's currently on and maybe improve his pace in the second half of the season he had a 61 point pace just last season so it's not that long ago that he was a really viable guy in fantasy currently he's well below even a half point per game he only has 21 points in 49 games even with this current run of five points his last five games so what do you think about jason spezza moving forward
1: there's only one person who can help jason spezza produce better than he has in the first half of the season and it's not Jason Spezza it's not you or me either Elon it's Ken Hitchcock Spezza can still produce when he gets the minutes and the right deployment but this year he has not been given much of either by Hitchcock Spezza is seeing third line minutes so far this year like the worst of his career with what looks like a hard cap of 14 minutes per game And that leaves him two to three minutes short of ice time compared to the last few years on average. And his most common line mates this year, after having played with Ben and Sagan for chunks of the last couple seasons, Matthias Janmark, Devin Shore, and Remy Ali. I don't even care if I'm saying that right. It's not a line mate that Jason Spezza is going to be able to produce regularly with. So he's not being put in a position to succeed, which is sad because I think he's still got offense to give. I don't think he's terribly declined or maybe even at all. We're not seeing enough to know for sure. But what we are seeing in his limited minutes are offensive rate stats that are similar enough to the last couple of years that it's reasonable to expect if he was getting the same minutes or legit minutes and legit deployment, he could do something with them. Unfortunately, no minutes, no line mates means no hope for
0: Jason Spezza unless that changes. Well, I did just start this whole thing by saying he's been on the top power play and he has five points his last five games.
1: Yeah, so, but he's still playing very few minutes and we don't know if he's going to stay on that top power play and his even strength line mates still aren't that great.
0: Yeah, well, okay. let us I mean, there's no one else for him to play with. If the top line is going to be Ben Sagan and Radulov, who who else can they put him with? But anyway, we'll have to see. Like Adam Chirwatchless at this point. I think at this point, he's someone I've got my eye on if he's going to stay on that top power play because those are some really good players he's playing with. We don't have time to get into John Klingberg, but man, what a season he's having. Okay, Brian, next, D, Detroit. I know you must be loving this. After I've done my fair share of teasing you for saying Peter Mrazek is good while he continues to be terrible, he's finally started to go on a nice run. In his last four games, he had two shutouts over Chicago and New Jersey. Then he took a tough 3-2 overtime loss to Philly on Tuesday. And then he relieved Jimmy Howard 11 minutes into the game yesterday versus Chicago and stopped 17 of 18 shots. And meanwhile, Jimmy Howard, he's been really weak lately. He has four straight sub-900 save percentage games Curly and you know he led him three goals on nine shots thursday before getting pulled do you think at this point are we looking at a turning point and morazic is going to steal the job from jimmy howard moving forward or is this just another like kudobin rask situation or many of the others we've talked about throughout this season where you know whatever after the break they're still going to give howard the net and he's still going to continue to be good and peter continued to be peter morazic of course there's also potential trade speculation for morazic just like i mentioned for Evander Kane, but I guess you don't really want to get into that. But I know that Maracic could be traded. Anyways, what's your take right now on Maracic? If he's available in free agencies, should people be rushing to add him while he's on this great run? I'm still trying to figure out how
1: I've been teased over the last couple of years for both being too low and then too high on him. But here we are. I also don't know that we have an actual goalie situation in Detroit just yet. I don't know if that pendulum is full on swinging, but there's at least maybe some momentum starting. Though so what the Red Wings actually want with Mrazik in the future is anyone's guess, Elon. And this is where you know, I can see why you're thinking, well, if he gets traded, is he being showcased? Or do they even care how much he plays in the future? He's a restricted free agent at the end of this year. And the Wings probably shouldn't be looking to re-sign Mrazik for another $4 million, which is what he's currently making, considering that they're up against the cap, need to pay Jimmy Howard $5 million for one more season, which is crazy. My green $6 million is coming off the books. That'll help but still $10 million in goalies for a bottom team. Silly, not a good way to use your money. Anyway, I think Jimmy Howard is still the guy in Detroit for now, but his owners should be looking over their shoulders to make sure that they're ready if some of Howard's starts begin to disappear. I still don't have a ton of faith in Mrazik. Even if he does get consistent starts, I don't know that he'll be consistently good in them. So this is more of just a warning for anybody who owns Howard or a heads up for anybody who is desperately looking
0: for goalie starts. Yeah, definitely someone to watch. I mean, hard to say if Peter Morazic will steal the job, but he's at least looking good in the short term. And you know what's really good when you're looking in the short term for these players? It's to play Daily Fantasy because that way you could just play Morazic on Tuesday, see how he does. So why don't we give a shout out to our second sponsor for this week's episode, which are our friends over at FanDuel because with FanDuel, you could play Daily Fantasy Hockey any day there's a bunch of contests out there you can play whenever you want like there's something for everyone lots of contests to choose from starting at one dollar you just pick a contest you choose your team you got a budget you pick the players you want to play just for that day then you watch your score in real time it's a ton of fun brian every time we do one of these fan spots we then have a fan listener league last week we didn't have one but we, me and the patrons we still played a fan contest and i was doing so well most of the way i loaded up on like Pittsburgh guys. I got Shiri against Carolina and he got a point. I had Casey to Smith. It was a brilliant pick, but then unfortunately the top, you, you think you have the sure things. Then, like, Alex Barkov didn't do anything. It was a 6-1 loss to Dallas. I should have taken the Dallas guys and not the Florida guys. Oh, well, the winner had Eichel and McKinnon. It was great. Congrats to S Beverly 23 Hopefully that person's a patron. If not, I guess we... Anyways, all that to say, FanDuel is a lot of fun. You pick your team, you watch it. Like I said, and we have our Listener League going this Tuesday, so you can sign up on Tuesday. Go to FanDuel.com slash Carl, K-A-R-L, and join our league this Tuesday, and you can compete with Brian and I, and you could hear me whine about how I lost to you.
1: I sure hope that's what's going to happen. If I win, that's all that matters. And I finished top five in the last, uh, the last one of these contests that we did. If you want to try and beat me, feel good about yourself. You would deserve to if you beat me. You can head over to FanDuel.com slash K-A-R-L. Join us starting Tuesday morning. Get your spot because there are limited ones available.
0: Okay, Brian, let's go to the Edmonton Oilers. Here's another player that I think could be a good discount on FanDuel right now. Let's look at Oscar Clefbaum. He got back on the top power play. So we were concerned about... Uh, Darnell Nurse taking the top power play job looks like they're still trying to figure things out he got back on the top power play in Thursday's 4-3 OT win over Calgary for what it's worth by the way Brian oh yeah it was Riddish in that not Smith I was about to say like oh I thought you said Smith is so reliable but you're right he is they played the wrong goalie clearly anyways Edmonton won a game against Calgary and Oscar Clefbaum was back on the top power play that's my fantasy take from the Oilers he had no points of course because he rarely does get points lately for some reason but he had four shots he was plus two he had big minutes he had the second most minutes on the team aside from Connor McDavid so call me a glutton for punishment, but I think that I'm going to call Oscar Clefbaum as another of my second-half bounce-back candidates that I have some faith in. Am I crazy, Brian? Like I think if he was a free agency in any of my leagues, I'd probably be grabbing him. Would you? Well, let's see. My
1: bottom defenseman, I'm going to use my Cup full team, for example, is Patrick Nemet. So, uh, yeah, I'd probably give it a go because Clefbaum, like, I have Nemet for blocks, and Clefbaum gets a bunch of those even when he's not scoring Look, I mean, I know we've been singing the same tune about Oscar Clefbaum for like the entire season, but the fact remains he's a top 10 defenseman in shot rates, top 15 in block rates, and he's still getting turns on the top power play, which God willing will get some kind of facelift in the second half that could benefit every oiler on it. I would prefer Oscar Clefbaum's upside to anyone hedging on replacement value for their bottom roster players so in the couple that's usually 45 50 point forward or 30 35 point fenceman and yeah it's it's really funny how little this answer has changed about oscar clefbaum over the course of the year as patience has waxed and waned but hope has always remained
0: yeah, we'll continue to have hope cleft bomb. Like you say, yeah, I like how he keeps taking shots. I don't know. Anyway, let's not even get into the even strength line combinations on Edmonton. Because what's the point? They change every episode. Last week, it was, uh, or at least on Thursday, Kajula, Camillary. They both spent time with McDavid and Dreisaitl on the top line last game. So it was McDavid, Dreisaitl, and then one of those other two throughout the game. I'm sure we'll have different names for next week, but who knows? Take a look at Kajula and Camillary, maybe in daily fantasy. If you see one of them is on the top line with McDavid and Dre going into Tuesday's games. Okay, Florida Panthers. Next team, James Ryan Reimer suffered a groin injury on Tuesday slated to miss at least two weeks. We already reported last week that Roberto Luongo could return at the start of February. So this is all the more reason to go and jump on Roberto Luongo if he's available to you in free agency, because now Reimer not going to be there to challenge him. But in the meantime, while they're both out, I guess we're looking at Harry Sateri. As the starter for at least the short term for the Florida Panthers, he was okay on Thursday versus Washington. He stopped four of 46 shots. That's like a nine-thirteen save percentage, which is pretty much exactly league average. But I really don't expect Harry Ceteri to be able to put up even league average numbers. I'd be very afraid to add him in any of my leagues if anything is counted aside from just like wins and saves. What about you? Like, what are your thoughts on Harry Ceteri? I I feel like if he was playing against New Jersey without Taylor Hall, maybe then I'd be comfortable with Harry Ceteri. But aside from that, I don't know. I think that he might get blown up next week. I would be pretty scared as well to
1: start Harry Sateri. I had considered him as an alternative to Anton Forsberg this week, seeing as Soteri had the extra game, but I just don't think he's going to offer much more opportunity to get wins, even though he does have that extra game. Florida has plenty of their own problems outside of the crease, adding a new goalie who has underperformed his expected save percentage by 40 points in brief NHL action so far. And also was a nine oh six and twelve games of action for AHL Springfield before getting called up. I'm not chomping at the bit for that, which is what Harry Sateri provides until well, he shows us that he can provide more.
0: Yeah, and like I said, maybe Luongo will be back soon. Reports were coming out that he could be back early February. Also on Florida, interesting line shakeup on Thursday's game. Coach Bob Bugner decided to move Jonathan Huberdo to the second line with Malgin and Trocek and move Nick Bugstad to line one with Barkov and Dadunov. So this seems like great news for Dennis Malgin, who scored two goals, by the way, with his new superstar line mates. Like I said, he's playing now with Jonathan Huberdo and Vincent Trocek, two really amazing players. Great spot for Malgin. Also great spot for Bugstad playing with dadanov and barkov he was pointless in thursday's game but bjogstad had six shots on goal which is great so brian seems like both could be worthwhile if these lines hold if these lines do hold who would you rather have right now between dennis malgan and nick bjogstad for next week
1: honestly first off it's kind of nice that these lines in florida have come about They're two new fantasy relevant options suddenly created because of the shift and before i even talk about the milan which combo would you rather have a guy playing with huberto and trojek or Barkov and Dadanov.
0: I think I'd have to say Huberdo and Trocheck. I don't know. Hard to say because we don't know that much about Dadanov. Like I've always liked Dadanov because he was playing with Barkov and Huberdo and I know he had great success in the KHL, but it seems like Huberdo and Trocheck is the safer pick. Even though Barkov's really great.
1: Yeah it's a very tough call so that's why I think it's great that it at least two guys have pretty equal opportunities to score all of a sudden but I am going to go is my first choice between Buickstead and Malgin I'm going Buickstead because I am a sucker for a good shot attempt rate and Buickstead second on the team in that category he's also the only Panther forward aside from those four top flight guys, who has cracked 500 minutes this season. Malgin is actually dead last in shot attempt rates amongst Panthers forwards. Well, he owns a shooting percentage twice as high as the next best shooting percentage on the team. Jonathan Huberdeau has like 11 or 12%. Malgin is up at 22% thanks to his multi-goal game that he had recently. Uh, But the conclusion is both could be good. Great guys to try out if you're looking to bring in some fresh blood to your forward group.
0: Yeah, I guess we stopped keeping track of who we'd want more than other people. But I imagine these guys are both in the same category as like Kasha and Henrique, I guess.
1: Yeah, I mean, Buick said he's only had that six shot game. So we'll see if it lasts for another game or two, if he still has that opportunity. If he does, I probably like him more than Henrique. Uh, and maybe Kasha too. It's close, uh, right around there.
0: Yeah, you got to look at schedules sometimes to help make these decisions. Okay, at Los Angeles Kings. How many teams are we through now? Like 10? And it's uh, past nine o'clock, so we're doing great. <laughs> uh, Jonathan Quick is going to be suspended for Tuesday's game due to skipping the All-Star game. Apparently, he wants to rest some nagging issues. My question is, why is he playing so often? If he has nagging issues, why don't they just rest him? Like, they have a decent backup goalie. Like, Darcy Kemper has been really good lately. Like, why isn't the coach of the LA Kings a cumper thumper, as Dave, patron Dave would say? Like, as like you know, like, he's great. Like, Darcy is having a low-key great year. He deserves some due he has a 934 save percentage in 13 games so far like obviously he showed us that he might struggle as a starting goalie in the league back when he was on minnesota but he's doing fine like maybe Jonathan quick should sit more often so you know not only sit the all-star game maybe don't play like four games in a week like he did a couple of weeks ago
1: He was really a workhorse, one of the biggest workhorses of the NHL season so far. Darcy Kemper, poor Darcy Kemper. He had ridden Pine for over a month without seeing game action. And he was healthy for that month, by the way, before he finally got between the pipes three times over the week leading up to the All-Star break. And Kemper, you know, like you feel like he plays for L.A. and he's had a good season so far. But for me, he's always been a very scary spot start. I'm still not into him. That much because of it, even though I think I know it's irrational. Like I have a bit of a Kemper phobia. I was scarred years ago in the years where the Minnesota Wild were trying to move on from Nicholas Backstrom and Josh Harding. Uh, keep in mind that Darcy Kemper is still a career nine thirteen goalie, and I wouldn't expect much better from him on any given night. But I mean, on any given night, he could also be a nine thirty goalie, especially with a pretty good team that is pretty solid defensively in front of him. Uh start him at your own peril, but he probably beats I don't know Ken Appleby and definitely a Harry Sateri.
0: Yeah, I don't know, Brian. Like I think it's very different being a backup goalie and being a starting goalie. I think Kemper, if he came in once every couple of weeks at least, I'm sure he'd continue to be fine. Maybe not like a nine thirty or whatever, but I think he could be at least league average. Anyway, okay, Minnesota. Kemper's former team Brian can people safely drop Zach Parisi at this point are his days of being fantasy relevant over is he now just another Camilleri or a Gabaric? I mean so Parisi now has three points in 10 games so far since he came back from his injury 24 shots in those 10 games which is okay but you know like not amazing though he has had a lot of three shot of goal games and then just a couple ones sprinkled in there. It's obviously still a very small sample size of just 10 games But still, on the plus side, he's been playing with Eric Stahl, both even strength and on the power play. And Stahl has been just fine. Like Stahl has six points in his last four games. So is this maybe just an IPP issue for Zach Parise, where he's on the ice for a lot of goals and just, you know, for whatever reason, he's not getting points on them? Or is there more to the story? Would you still be holding on to Zach Parise if you had him?
1: Mm, I did have him, and I've already dropped him. Look, Parise is good for some shots, but that's about all. You can hope for before we were saying, well, I'll get you some shots and maybe some points, but he's not putting up points at a strong enough pace to, like, think that that's going to be what you're going to get out of him. His offensive rate stats and expected goals are in decline across the board, and Parisi's shot attempt share has been really, really bad. Presently, he's got an individual number that's 11 percent lower than his team's average, which is very, very. Very bad. You might know that number as Corsi 4 relative percentage or shot attempts percentage relative. It essentially means, yeah, it's a difference between how you're performing versus the rest of your team on average. And he is performing much, much worse, gobsmackingly worse so far than the rest of his team. Maybe he's still finding his legs. And yeah, you're onto the IPP thing. Parisi's is kind of low, but I really don't think that we should be holding out a whole lot of hope based on that one thing, given all the other poor indicators that. Parisi is showing right now so like I said I dropped him myself I think you're good to do the same in most other leagues could be good for a stream if Minnesota's playing you need an extra game he could be one of the better options uh, on a regular basis to try and stream it and get a point from especially while he's still playing with Eric Stahl
0: yeah okay so it's interesting because i kind of see him and evander kane as pretty similar like shot high shot guys that you know need to be in a good spot maybe i don't know Preezy's probably obviously had a much better career than evander kane so far but at this point it sounded like you said hold on to evander kane but you let go of zach Preezy. so there we go patty in the chat room here just said who won the royal rumble i guess i won't say it on the show that might be a spoiler for people who are maybe recording it but uh i didn't realize it was today there you go it's someone i've never heard of so i guess i need to start following wwe a little bit more closely
1: and now I remember it was who my friend predicted. So good for him. All Where right. You know, Aaron.
0: Uh, okay. <laughs> good job. Aaron, the patron. Yeah. Oh, thanks Aaron. Okay. Uh, let's go to Nashville now. Oh wait, no, let's go to Montreal. I almost, you know, it would be typical for me to skip Montreal. At least it would be fitting because they've been pretty bad this year, but actually one guy has been hot, hot, hot. And that is Jonathan Druin. He has eight points in his last eight games. Five of those on the power plays and play He's been playing at even strength with Galchenyuk and Delorier. And, you know, going into the season, many projections, including Dauber, had Jonathan Druin at like 60 plus points on the year, even with this great streak of eight points in his last eight games, he still only has 26 points in 44 games, which is only a 48 point pace. Brian, do you think that Jonathan Druin can put up a 60 point pace at least for the rest of the season if he doesn't actually hit 60 points overall? Like, it's probably pretty unlikely that he could hit 60 overall right now. He'd probably have to be on closer to a 70 point pace, but uh, what do you think about Jonathan Drew moving forward? Is he going to continue this hot run, or is it fleeting?
1: I am much more comfortable. Like we said, just like Brad said we've compared the two saying that Jonathan Drew deserves better in the second half than he got in the first, and that means I'm comfortable with him being at like a 55 to 60 point pace. We've already explained why we think he should outperform his first half. Um, my very optimistic self would still have him at a 60-point pace and not much higher. That comes out to about 26 or 27 points over the last 35 games of the year, though, which is very valuable. If he happens to be in free agency, you're looking to throw a Hail Mary. If you're the kind of person who's added Matt Duchesne at several points during his cold runs, this could be a good time to add Jonathan Druin.
0: Yeah, like, obviously, it's unlikely that Druin's in free agency in a lot of leagues. If he is, definitely now's the time to add him. Like, why not? Who are you waiting for to add from free agency, right? Though, if you're in a hits league, maybe take a look at this Nicholas Delorier, who, like I said, is on the Druin line with Galchenyuk, consistently putting up five-plus hits most night. He even had seven hits and eight hits in his last two games. Plus, he's on a line where there's potential for points. Like, if you're playing with Druin and Galchenyuk, and they're both doing well, that's pretty good, and you're getting guaranteed hits. Definitely, Nicholas Delorier should not be in free agency in a hit league, I would think. Okay, Nashville, we're on to N. It's almost halfway through the alphabet. I'm not sure if we're halfway through the teams or not. But on Nashville, Philip Forsberg has been practicing, should be back soon. Victor Arvidson has heated up lately. Same with Ryan Johansson. He's put up an assist in each of his last two games. They've been playing with Pontus Auberg on the top line so I'm assuming he'll be bumped for Philip Forsberg when he comes back and hopefully we'll see that great top line from last year Forsberg Johansson and Arvidsson and I feel like both of those guys by the way Johansson and Arvidsson they're both currently behind their point paces from last year so I'm gonna add them to my list of good candidates for second half improvements especially once Forsberg comes back do you concur
1: Yes, I do concur. I think both Arvidson and Ryan Johansson are going to do better in the second half. I have more confidence in Arvidson than Raijo, who has seen a decline in shot rates at both even strength and on the power play. And although that wasn't really his bread and butter during a sixty point season last year, like we weren't like wowed by his shot totals. That's not why we liked him. It's had a negative impact on his expected goals for in both sets of situations. Arvidson, meanwhile, has more or less kept up. What he's done last year, though on a less monstrous and more reasonable, sustainable scale, both could see the nice kind of regression in their IPP and on ice shooting percentage as well.
0: Yeah. And then you have a guy like Craig Smith. I expect him to be bumped from the top power play when Forsberg comes back. They've been going with 2D lately on the top unit. So I feel like guys like Smith, Tourist, Scott Hartnell, Kevin Fiala, all not doing much lately. Though, okay, Fiala had two goals against Florida a few games ago. But aside from that, none of these guys are doing much. I think we're at a point where basically you're looking at Forsberg, Arvidsson, and Johansson as the only forwards worth owning on Nashville in most forwards at this point. Do you concur with that?
1: I do. There's no other predator begging to be owned, really. Like, Craig Smith was making himself useful with shots on goal, even without points, but he has only four shots in his last three games, and that means it's time to
0: start eyeballing replacements. Okay, let's go to the New Jersey Devils. A lot of injury trouble for them. Taylor Hall, Corey Schneider, Marcus Johansson, all injured last week. The Devils have lost four in a row now, and they've only scored three goals total in those four games. So, Brian, I've got an out-there theory for you, but I have a hunch... Like, okay, stick with me here and everyone in the chat room, bear with me. I think that the New Jersey Devils are not that good at scoring goals without Taylor Hall. This is, it's just a hunch I have. I don't know if that's too crazy, but Brian, do you think that's accurate? Like, okay, but seriously, they've sucked, okay, since Taylor Hall's been injured. Luckily, Hall's hand injury isn't serious and he should be back next week. And my que- my real question to you is: uh, Is there any chance we're going to see Hall reunited with Hisher and Palmieri at even strength and on the power play sometime soon? Like that would be so nice, right? Hisher has only one assist in his last four games. Palmieri's been pointless in five. They're both looking mighty snoozery lately. But I feel like maybe I'd hold on to them just to hope for some better deployment. Like Hall might come back, and then you know they're going to want to shake things up. Considering they haven't been scoring any goals lately, like that was the first line for a while. Everything was fine. Why has it changed?
1: Well, first off, I think your hunch might be correct that Taylor Hall, as I like to say, is the straw that stirs the drink in New Jersey. He's the reason that they can put up as many goals as they have, the centerpiece of that offense. It can't be understated, his importance to that offense. So yeah, you should expect if he stays out for a while, it's going to be a little harder to get points unless all-star Brian Boyle can really step up his game. The other thing with Taylor Hall, by the way, is that his injuries to his hand and he didn't come back as quickly as the Devils had initially hoped, which isn't a great thing for a scorer like him to have to be playing through. So I'm hoping he can come back and be just as effective as before. As for what to do with the Palmieri's and his of the world, I would try to hold on to them. If you have room to spare in your standings and you can survive another week of them doing very little for you, I would hold to wait and see what happens. I have no idea why they're not playing on the top unit together or if they will again. But I think it's worth holding just in case they do.
0: Yeah, well, they actually both were on the top unit in their last game with Jesper Bratt, but it's like, Whatever. If Taylor Hall's not there, I don't want anybody. But Hall's gonna be back next week. I'm pretty sure I'd like to see Paul Mary back with him. He's like someone I've had in a couple of my leagues, and I feel like I'm really disappointed. I think it's not his fault. He's a good player, he's gotta be put in a good situation. Anyways, regarding goaltending on the Devils, like I said, Schneider has a groin injury. Kincaid is actually on IR. So, okay, let's say Taylor Hall comes back and the Devils start scoring again. Like they're not just like a terrible team. Do you have any interest in Ken Appleby while he's the starter? Does he have any kind of pedigree? Do you know anything about him? I think I brought him up last week and said, like, hopefully we don't even have to ever talk about him, but I guess we might have to talk about him
1: i have a, a little bit of interest in ken appleby as a starter but he has no pedigree to speak of undrafted 22 year old uh, from north bay he did lead oshawa to a memorial cup championship in 2014-15 and since then has done pretty well in the echl over the last couple of years but not in the ahl 888 so far this year in 16 appearances for binghamton uh, appleby's play so far means that i'm keeping an open mind Uh, By the way, Elon, do you know who the Devils haven't called up with their first and second stringers out? Uh, Tell me. Eddie Lack remains in the (laughs) AHL. They've called up Appleby. They've called up Mackenzie Blackwood. Eddie Lack getting his reps in in the minors.
0: Yeah, what, he's working it out. Eddie Lack's going to be a star in the league one day. I know you're holding on to that hope, Brian. But yeah, I, th- I think he's done. And we'll have to see. Like, the Devils were looking really good back when everyone was healthy. So we'll see if they could bounce back. And we'll see if Ken Appleby has any value, at least once Hall is back. Okay, let's go to the New York Islanders. Pretty sure we said to grab Beauvillier on last week's episode. I hope we did, because he had a great week. He had two straight two-goal games, and then a one-assist game at Vegas on Thursday. Should we upgrade him now from, like, probably you should add him to, like, he's must-own, you're crazy if Beauvillier's still in your free agency at this point? Or do you have any reservations about maybe him getting bumped if and when Andrew Ladd comes back and him not getting, you know, so first of all, like, he's been playing online, too, with Barzel and Eberly. and then also he's not on the top power play. So I guess that's the reasons to maybe not jump on Bovillier but he's been so hot lately.
1: Yeah, and we did say, well, first you said we should pick him up, and I'm like, ah probably and then we upgraded that to yeah you should definitely pick him up and now like you probably really definitely should pick him up if he's available in your league he's crushing it in the spot where he is Beauvilliers is playing with Eberle Barzil like you said and that's a really good place to be and that could be like a first line on some teams like maybe in Edmonton uh Jordan Eberle by the way let's just before we move on to the next team He's been outstanding this year, right back into a mid-60s point pace. Eberle, of course, has had some help getting there with a high on ice shooting percentage, thanks to a certain linemate of his with the initials MB. But that has helped offset him having a smaller power play role that he's had in past successful seasons. I'm I'm just really pleased with Eberle's bounce back, which, by the way, I'm pretty sure we told people was coming, uh, even with some regression. I think Eberle's got a great shot at 60 points by the end of the year. So hooray for Eberly!
0: Hooray for Eberly! You know when you said uh, the player with the initials MB, for some reason in my head I jumped right to Mike Berbiglia. I guess that's where my head is at right now. Wow,
1: I, I thought at least like Marty Berdier was coming or Martin Biron. What other uh, NHLers MB?
0: Oh, that tweeted us at Kevin Carlson with your favorite MB hockey player or not. Mike Birbiglia, by the way, not a hockey player, but it's pretty funny, funny comedian. Okay, New York Rangers. Reports have come out that the Rangers are going to be sellers at the trade deadline. So right, you're going to hate this fantasy hockey take on the Rangers. It's all about the trade deadline. Okay, the article I saw on the scores is Zuccarello, Nash, and McDonough could all get moved. I'd imagine Nash is the one that's most likely to get traded since he's going to be an unrestricted free agent this summer. I actually recently added him into the cupful. I got his two-goal, seven-shot game on Tuesday against Anaheim. I was really happy about that. Nothing on Thursday in the 6-5 win over San Jose. Actually, it was the Miller-Hayes-Zuccarello line that got in on most of the action then mcdonough got a lot of points as well nothing from Zabanajad and nash but whatever nash has been good do you expect a nash move if he's moved or maybe you're to say i don't want to speculate and we'll just move on but i'm curious like do we expect a nash move to be good or bad for him like are you treating him any differently now that you've heard that he's likely going to be on the move or are you still thinking of him as like you know because anyways he's good now right he's on the top line top power player on the rangers curious to know if you think of him any differently or if you're just like enjoy rick nash while he's in that spot and doing well
1: yeah exactly we didn't even know he'd be in this role with the new york rangers so i don't know if he moves exactly what he's asked to do with his new team
0: and then also if the rangers are going to get blown up and trade away all their good players maybe owners of guys like zibanejad and henrik lundqvist should be nervous because that's going to make it harder for them to be good like zibanejad not having his great line mates and power play line mates and lundqvist having a worse team in front of him making it harder to get wins uh, scary stuff Scary, but
1: I would say both those guys are talented enough to hold, to reasonably hold their own regardless of what happens around them. Of course, it wouldn't be optimal for Dead or Lundqvist for a fire sale to happen around them, but I expect them to still be relevant and survive on your fantasy roster.
0: Okay, by the way, in the chat here, Ryan has suggested both Matthew Barnaby and Murray Barron as MBs, so don't tweet those to us. We already got those. Good ones, Ryan. Okay, let's go to the Ottawa Senators. Brian, your favorite team, the Ottawa Senators not much offense though coming from your favorite team right now can't help that mark stone has been out with a knee injury hopefully he'll be returning soon it, it might even be back right after the all-star break is it still worth at this point holding guys like duchene who by the way he had a short burst of production a couple of weeks ago but now he only has two points in his last five games and or like mike hoffman who we've been saying to hold on to all year he only has two points in his last eight games both goals At what point do these guys become snoozers or do you you like hold on, like especially Hoffman? Do you just like hold on to him all year just because of all he's done over the past couple of years? Or at some point, are you going to recommend to let him go? And Brian, am I okay? Well, I'll just ask all my Ottawa questions. I'm curious, am I a bad person? Because I'm kind of starting to want Eric Carlson to get traded. Like, I'm sorry, but like, I just feel like he could do so much better on a better team. And like, I own him in one league. Like I said at the top of the show, I think he'd be better if he could get traded. So I don't know. Those rumors at first were kind of annoying, but now I'm like, maybe it would be the worst thing like Carlson just has one goal in his last seven games curious to know assuming he stays in Ottawa which I'm sure he will how confident are you that he'll be able to put up say like at least a 60 point pace moving forward for the rest of the season
1: okay let's go back to Matt Duchesne you mentioned he has only two points in his last five but if you look at it another way he's a point for game player over his last nine Matt Duchesne is pointed in six of his last nine games to get there Uh, So it's nice to see that he is doing stuff even when the rest of his team isn't. But I do get over the last five games has not been impressive. I think I'm hanging on just because of of what we've seen in the last two weeks from him. I'm ready to give him a longer lease uh, than maybe you are. So I'd hold him for now. And same with Hoffman, who still gives you top 50 shot rates amongst forwards in the NHL. If that's worth something to you in a points only league, though, I might feel more inclined to let Mike Hoffman go. He's just not getting, like, the linemates he's playing with are garbage sometimes. Like, Tom Pyatt, Gabriel Dumont, he's finding himself in weird situations too often, and I don't like it, even though, like I said, he's kept up his shot rates pretty well. His shooting percentage isn't so far off. IPP on his shooting percentage, all relatively stable, but somehow he's only on pace for 51 points. I feel like he could probably do a little bit better. Um, but maybe not a bet to get as close to 60 well he was 60 points last year I don't know if he can get there this year as for Eric Carlson look I think he'll be fine obviously he bounced back so strong from his previous scoring slump but I agree that if the Sens aren't going to love him perhaps it's time for them to let him go for the benefit of all of our joy and entertainment
0: yeah let him go or, I don't know, do something. But yeah, Eric Carlson, okay, you're you're never going to say that you're worried about Eric Carlson. How about also asking you about him. But, like, it's up to you, Brian, to let me know if at some point you're going to tell people that they need to maybe try to trade or, like, do something with Eric Carlson in their I mean, fantasy leagues, of course.
1: We did. We did talk about that when he had, how long was it? Like, a 13-game stretch where he was just terrible. And we said, you know, if you're feeling antsy about it feeling icky about it that's the time that you could trade him and then if you did uh, you're probably pretty unhappy for the next few weeks but now you're probably feeling okay about yourself now it could be an up and down season the rest of the way if the Sens can't figure their stuff out which it sure seems like they can't
0: okay well I asked you specifically do you think he's going to put up a 60 point pace moving forward yes or no yes all right so we'll see because we had a question actually on our, I think it was on Facebook, like Tyson, it was like a trade where it was like Tyson Berry for Carlson, and then a really nice upgrade of a forward on the other piece. Like I think Barzil for, I don't, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was like, I was thinking to myself, like, I mean, how much better is Carlson even going to be than Tyson Berry? Like Tyson Berry is going to come back on the top power play with McKinnon and and who are on fire. So like, I think Carlson will be better, maybe not that much better. I don't know. Okay. Anyway, something to think about, but okay. Good to know that you still see Carlson as 60 plus point guy. Obviously, hard to bet against Eric Carlson. By the way, the Sens claim Magnus Pajarvi off waivers from St. Louis. I can't imagine there's any reason to expect him to have any fantasy relevance, but got to throw it in the show for completion's sake. Uh, I see from your nodding that uh, you agree that he's useless, so we can just move on. Philadelphia, we're on to the peas. Brian Elliott, day-to-day with a lower body injury. Michael Neuvirth had been on a great run over his last three starts, but then he got hammered for five goals against versus Tampa on Thursday. Overall, Neuwirth has a respectable 9-18 save percentage in 14 games on the season. So if the Elliott injury is serious, I feel like people should probably go and jump on McCall Neuwirth, right? And like, if okay, so here's my question then. Let's say Gibson and Elliott both turn out to be out for a while. We talked earlier how Gibson's injured. And say Crawford stays out for a bit also, How would you rank your interest in owning the following guys? Neuwerth, Ryan Miller, and Anton Forsberg.
1: Okay, uh, I guess I'll start with the ranking. I'll go Ryan Miller, Forsberg, and Neuwirth. How would you rank them?
0: Oh, wow. Really low on Neuwirth. I would have probably had Neuwirth first, to be honest. Yeah, so here's, here's what I have to say about
1: the Philly goaltending situation. Even if Elliott comes back soon... And is able to play. I don't know that he does. It's kind of possible that Neuverth is making run at the number one job. Brian Elliott has posted in 9.08 so far this year. Posted in 9.10 last year. So this could be about who Brian Elliott is. The one thing he does have going for him is that he's done better than you would expect a replacement level NHL goalie to do in his position. He's outplayed his expected save percentage by a slim margin, but he's still outplayed it. So what this means is though, even though his save percentage is below league average, which is 913 and he's 908, the Flyers aren't playing well enough to, uh, to protect him well enough so that he could even put up a league average save percentage. He's outplaying what the Flyers would offer your average goaltender. And so he deserves some kind of credit for that. As for Michael Neuverth, um, the thing with him is he's rarely played consistently enough to deserve a number one job, but I figure he's at least earned his way back into a timeshare or hot hand consideration. Even when Brian Elliott returns, I guess, uh, you know, maybe I'll bump him ahead of Forsberg. I think it just shows, uh, who I expect to get the most wins. Like even if Neuwerth plays a bunch for Philly, I expect more wins. I know Philadelphia has been on fire. They've won eight of their last 10, but I have a little more faith in the ducks and Miller. Uh, I'll bump him ahead of Forsberg.
0: Okay, we'll see. I got Neuwirth. I think that he should be owned. I would grab Neuwirth while Elliot is out anyways, because also Neuwirth was starting to get more starts, even with Elliott healthy. So anyway, okay. Also on Philly, we got to mention Travis Konechny. He scored in four straight games. Now, a couple of those were overtime goals for whatever that's worth. That kind of makes me a little less interested because kind of like how often is he going to get the opportunity to score in overtime? Clearly, he's good in that spot at three on three. Also, Konechny's taken 14 shots over those last four games where he scored a goal in each game, so he's doing great. Kind of seems like another Bovillier situation to me, playing on a great line at even strength, only getting second unit power play time, but on fire right now. Who do you like between Konechny and Bovillier if both of them are in free agency? I really like both of them right now. By the way, Konechny plays on Wednesday this week, so I was saying that the schedule is a bit tough. Next week, a lot of players are only play Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, so even, like, I might even just grab Konechny for Wednesday even if you don't have room for him on your roster for the rest of the week.
1: I will take Konechny. Konekne, also a must-own. I would say a muster-own because he's on the first line rather than the second. And we, I don't know. It feels like he's going to stay there. Of course, we're looking over our, our shoulders to see if Lad replaces Beauvilliers, although I don't think that's going to happen if this line is clicking. I'll go Konechny by by a slim margin, though.
0: Okay. Yeah. He's a good spot. Also connecting someone that we were looking at at the start of the year is potentially like last year for his rookie season, a lot of people were predicting that he would be really good. He has a big pedigree himself and this year it's finally working out for him now that he's on the top line. So great to see this happening. Same with Couturier, right? You just got to get on the top line with Claude Giroux and great things happen. Great things are not happening for Wayne Simmons. He's pointless in four, only 29 points in 49 games on the season, which is only a 49 point pace. He's playing with Nolan Patrick and Jordan wheel, which isn't so great. I guess still on the top power play. So that's good for Simmons. But is it crazy for me to ask if you would prefer Simmons or Konechny at this point? Like, say, in a league that doesn't count hits, like the Cupful. It's not crazy.
1: I would prefer Konechny. And I don't see the second half going a whole lot better for Simmons than it has, unless he gets to flip spots with Konechny, ends up back on the top line. But if that doesn't happen, I am all for Konechny. It's been a really sad year for Wayne Simmons.
0: I was going to throw something out there about the Sens. Patty's saying in the chat room, it's confusing when a team like the Sens are so good one year and then stink the next. Sorry, I probably shouldn't be hammering the Sens. Like last year, let's just all remember for a second, they got to the playoffs. That was good, but they played like uh, the Rangers in Boston or whatever in the first couple rounds. While teams like Washington had to play Pittsburgh, like they had a pretty easy road to the cup finals or not the cup, the conference finals. Like the NHL playoff format is so dumb. Like It's going to happen again this year, probably where Pittsburgh and Washington might play each other or, or I don't know. Like the whole thing is silly to me. So anyways, I know that Sens made it to the, Conference Finals, but I don't want people to start thinking like, "Oh, they were like so great last year." Like I think they they had a nice run for sure, and Craig Anderson stood on his head. But yeah, I don't I don't know why I'm even saying this. Let me just move on. I, I don't even know. I don't even care that much about the sense. Come on. Okay, Pittsburgh next P team. Brian, was that dumb? Was that a really dumb rant? Great rant. Okay, Pittsburgh, a couple weeks ago we were discussing if Jari can challenge Murray for the starting job. And now he's forgotten. Tristan Jari back in the minors and people are now have been tweeting us asking if they should be trading for adding the Smith who's been on a nice win streak. So that just goes to show how quickly things can change for backup goalie situations challenging for the starting job. But Brian, I know your answer. Let's just get to it. Matt Murray is going to be back with the team after the All-Star break, and I know for sure you fully expect him to resume his role as the number one goalie. That's what you've been saying for the last few episodes. I'm with you. Great. I'm glad to hear it. Finally. Okay, so we don't have to worry about DeSmith. I know people are still messaging us about DeSmith. It's going to be Matt Murray. And I
1: would even say to the people who are asking about DeSmith, like we were talking to someone who was being offered DeSmith in a trade to help them cuff with Matt Murray. And we don't even know that Casey DeSmith is going to be the cuff option you need. Maybe it's still going to be Tristan Jari. Unclear. So just cool it on everybody not named Matt Murray if Matt Murray is healthy.
0: By the way, Brian, we're on Pittsburgh. I, every year, like to bet $50 on a team to win the Stanley Cup. I try to find pretty good odds. I just today finally placed my bet $50 on the Pittsburgh Penguins. I got 15 to 1 odds on these guys. I'm going to win $750 if they win you know, the Cup.
1: You know I love it when we talk about your gambling.
0: <laughs> Whoa, because oh, because you're like, oh, this is a, like a family-friendly show and gambling such a vice. We don't want to uh, expose people to the, to the evils that Elon is involved in. <laughs> Okay, you're not even. I'm just laughing at myself right now. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) Anyway, I think that Pittsburgh right now, their odds are too low or high. You know, like, I feel like people aren't giving them enough credit. Like, Murray's been out. Things have been a little weird, but they're pretty much the same team as last year. They're going to have a good run. Anyway, okay, let's look at their lines lately. Brian Russ came back. I'm going to interrupt you. Like, we can't just say the
1: same team as last year. They're going to have a good run. They're tired. We've been through this. Like, they played two full seasons plus full postseasons of hockey. And that might be why we've seen them have uh, some valleys this year and see them not dominating the way we're used to seeing them. That is their biggest challenge, fatigue. Okay, back to you, Elon.
0: No, I don't disagree. That's why I got such uh, good odds on them. But they still have good players. That's all I'm saying. Anyways, I wanted to look at their lines quickly. Brian Rust came back from injury, but he was on line four, so we don't have to worry about him. They ran with, at least on Thursday. And they've been doing this for a little while now. Crosby, Shiri, and Simone, and then Haglin, Hornquist, and Malkin, and then Gensel, Kessel, and Sheehan. Those were the top three lines. So that's like a pretty nice balanced top nine. Dominic Simone has three goals and one assist in his last three games. One of your favorite random guys, Brian Carl Haglin has eight points in his last eight games. Like I said, he's been playing with Hornquist and Malkin, which is a really good spot. Both of these are, are guys are probably worth streaming right now. Like I mentioned, players on what was it, Florida? Yeah, like Malgin and Bjurg said. I feel like I feel the same about guys like Dominic Simone and Carl Haglin. Probably similar ownership in leagues, and both on really good first and second lines. Who do you like better between, say, like Simone and Haglin, and then maybe even throwing those Florida guys?
1: Uh I've always had a soft spot for Carl Hagelin, but he's often let me down. I, I don't really have a favorite. I think I'll still take Nick Bjrgset because I just feel like if he's in that spot, he's going to get shots, and that's the most certainty you're going to get from any one
0: of them. Okay, and since we're on Pittsburgh, we've got to mention Justin Schultz was on the top power play on Thursday instead of Latang, so that's something to watch. I know we talk about this every year, all the time. Possibly worth grabbing justin schultz if he's in your free agency just in case this last he had a power play assist on thursday on that top unit we talked about letang slump on the last mailbag show last week the patron mailbag show so again brian already mentioned it but yeah it was a good show keep it slash patron you can still get it uh now Latang only has one point in his last seven games want to give a quick one sentence summary of your conclusion you gave on the mailbag show you went deep into Latang and what's wrong with him people could listen to that episode for your full analysis but give us the quick one-line summary
1: the quick one-line summary is i like crystal tank for a second half improvement every single marker of variance on I shooting percentage shooting percentage ipp they were all low enough in the first half to expect a bounce back in the second
0: okay brian i feel like once we hit s in the alphabet i feel like we're pretty far into the alphabet so i think we're doing okay we're on san jose now Big news out of San Jose is that Joe Thornton had arthroscopic knee surgery and will likely be out for a while, maybe even out for the season. Bummer, right? Such a bummer. He's been having a great bounce back year. He has 22 points in his last 25 games. That's over the past couple of months. He had a bit of a slow start. He's been so good lately on Thursday in the 6-5 loss to the Rangers. All right. All I'm moving forward. Okay. Let's take a look at what... San Jose was doing without Thornton. They were riding with Meyer and Bodker on line one with Pavelski, and then the top power play consisted of couture Hurdle, Lebanc, Pavelski, and of course Brent Burns. So the names that jump out at me here potentially having some value you've got Kevin Lebanc. Definitely interesting right now that he's on the couture hurdle line like he was before, but now also on the top power play. He had three assists on Thursday. I think he's probably the most promising of all these guys I've mentioned here, like Meyer, Bodker, and LeBanc. I think LeBanc is the one I'd want on San Jose. And By the way, San Jose has a great schedule next week. And I think they play four games again the following week. So he's someone that's definitely on my radar, especially in the short term. What do you think about Kevin LeBanc?
1: Overall, he hasn't been that exciting, although you're right. He is interesting. He's on pace for 45 points so far. This could, if he if he does get a bigger role and is able to step up to it, could bump his potential up to 50 points or like maybe get a shorter run. I don't know. You think I'm underselling him? You th- what, what do you think his upside is?
0: I don't think his upside is, like, hold him for the rest of the year or anything. But I think while he's on a good second line with Hurdle and Couture and on the top power play, and these things could last, right? Thornton's going to be out for a while. But at least I'd say grab him now, get that great schedule next week, get the four games the following week. You're not going to have more games out of anyone else you add, unless you're going to say to add Meyer or Bodker. So, like, Meyer has four points in his last five games, nothing on Thursday bodker hasn't done much aside from a two goal one assist game versus anaheim a week ago are like of those three would you say Lebanc is the best one or would you rather meyer i know like you've said before that you like meyer he always like comes to my mind as someone who takes a lot of shots i know you love those shots so do i
1: no i'd go i'd go Lebanc of those three
0: okay and then are you concerned about joe pavelski at all with thornton out? pavelski has five points his last five games he's definitely turned his season around after a slow start but swapping joe thornton for bodker on his line can't be good
1: No. And here's the thing. We were in pretty unfamiliar territory with the Sharks minus Joe Thornton. Joe Thornton has been a shark for 13 seasons. And in those 13 seasons, Joe Thornton has missed a grand total of 12 games. He's never missed more than four games in a single year. Most years, he's played every single game. So... We're going to have to wait and see how the Sharks readjust and recalibrate without him. My guess is that they're going to initially struggle to create offense because they're going to be making adjustments and trying new things. But maybe, I don't know, maybe like Logan Couture can really step it up and help keep the offense going. Even though he's already been doing his part, he's just going to need to do more
0: yeah, like, one good potential thing that could happen for Pavelski is maybe Logan Couture just jumps onto line one to take over Thornton's spot and plays with Pavelski and say maybe Hurdle. Like, who knows? Like, they could really shake things up if things don't happen. So I definitely wouldn't be too worried about Pavelski just yet, but, like, a little worried. Like, Keep your eye on him. Maybe now might be a time to sell high, depending on who you can get. Something to something to keep in your mind, for sure. Things are going to change now that Joe Thornton out, is out. He's been so good, such a big driver of offense. Also, since we're on the Sharks, got to mention again, keeping in mind their great schedule over the next couple of weeks, got to mention Mark-Edward Vlasic, who's been on fire lately. He has nine points in his last eight games. What's even going on here? He was basically doing nothing before this run. And then out of nowhere, Mark-Edward Vlasic is like a really reliable, great offensive defenseman that you could add to your team. Is there like any reason to expect this to be somewhat sustainable moving forward at least for these next couple of weeks would you be rushing to grab Vlasic if you need a defenseman
1: of those nine points he has three secondary assists and then four goals on 14 shots so no I'm not expecting it to continue but it should just put him decisively ahead at least in the short term of other depth San Jose Sharks like say Justin Braun if you're looking to add someone for their upcoming four game weeks
0: all right next St. Louis Blues Jaden Schwartz came back Great news, obviously, for everyone who had him in their IR waiting for this moment. He had an okay game, like no points, but he had four shots and 18 minutes and 22 seconds of ice time in the win over Colorado on Thursday. My prediction that Shen, Schwartz, and Tarasenko would be reunited didn't come true at least for the first game. We'll see what happens moving forward. They were running with Shen, Schwartz, and Alex Steen, and then Barbashev, Stasny, and Tarasenko stayed together. But my prediction did come true that Paul Stasny would get bumped from the top power play. They were running Shen, Schwartz, Steen, Tarasenko, and Petrangelo. So I was right about at least one thing. Though, Paul Stasny scored a power play goal from the second unit. So I said that I think you could drop him, and I still actually think that you probably can in most formats. I was wrong about a lot of things about him last week, but I still think I was right overall. It just hasn't come true yet. What do you think, Brian? Are you still skeptical? Like, I know you were saying, no, people should hold on to Stastny. He's been on such a great run. But I feel like he's on power play, too. And, you know, I don't even expect him to stay on this line with Tarasenko for much longer.
1: Well, you might be overplaying. I was saying this is... You don't want to hold him if he does fall out. Like, just wait and see if you want to be super safe about it. But I would rather, instead of him, have the guy that you're about to mention.
0: Ah, yes. Well, uh, you always... Or recently have really hated this guy. So Brian, I'm curious to know who you'd prefer between Stasny and Alex Steen, or as you call him, Alex Steenkey. Steen's actually on a really good run right now. He's running a five-game point streak. He gets 12 points in his last 12 games. For me, it's like an easy choice. I'd take Steen over Stasny for sure, especially because Steen's the one on the top power play, but it sounds like you'd still go Stasny?
1: No, no, I just said I'd rather Alex Steen. It's great that Steen has held his spot on the top power play, even with Jaden Schwartz returning. He looks like he's in pretty good shape to continue at a 50-point clip the rest of the way, maybe a few more, which is essentially as much as you could hope for from Paul Stasny, who, as you mentioned, is presently seeing worse deployment. That's why I would take Alexander Steen.
0: Oh, sorry. I guess I hear what I want to hear. I just wanted to have an argument with you. But no, we are in total agreement as we get to the tease in our 31 team, 31 take episode. So much alliteration, right? It's fun. But the Tampa Bay Lightning, they had four straight games of scoring only two goals or less, but then they have struck. Get it? It's a pun because they're the lightning. They've You're struck. Lying. Thank you. Okay. I know you like those. Okay. They've struck with nine goals in their last two games over Nashville and Philly. So lots of players obviously getting in on the fun in these last couple of games. I'll run through some like Nemestikov, three goals and one assist in those last two games. Kunitz has a goal and two assists. They've both of those guys, Nemesnikov and Kunitz, have been on line one with Stamkos, and Stamkos obviously is doing great. He has one goal and three assists in those two games. Uh, you know, again, this is just two games, but just nice to see all these people starting to get points. The second line was Kucherov, Palat, and Tyler Johnson. They've all had some points. Even Yanni Gourd has been on a nice run. He has goals in each of his last three games from the third line. So, what's the takeaway here? Like, are we back on the Nemesnikov train now that he's on line one? He's also back on the top power play due to Palat being injured. So that was obviously good news for Nemesnikov. Not great news for the Lightning, though. Andre Platt's really good, but unfortunately he's gone, and it seems like Nemesnikov is back on that top power play and playing with Steven Stamkos. And also, Brian, is it time to start taking Chris Kunitz seriously while he's on the Stamkos and Nemesnikov line? Uh, maybe it can last after all. I'd be curious to know like, who you'd want between, say, like Kunitz and Yanni Gourd.
1: It's a good question. I'm not sure, but you're right that The takeaway, I mean, the one big takeaway about what you just said is that Tampa Bay is a very good team that will score many goals, And that rising tide raises all ships, including the SS Kunitz and the HMS Gord. Though the pertinent point also is that if Nemesnikov was dropped to free agency, it's time to pick him up. Kunitz makes a good stream. What can I say? If he's playing with Stamkos and Nemesnikov, it's not as good as Stamkos and Kucherov, but it's still something. Like, he could collect points there. So you should pay some attention to him. I feel like I could resist adding him, though, in the short term.
0: Yeah, maybe Kunitz is the type of guy that's more like you want to grab him in like a daily FanDuel league. I don't know if I'd be adding him to my roster long-term, but he's looking good. He's probably going to be really cheap you know as he's on the top line but still hasn't done much over the last year another guy on tampa we have to bring up is Mikhail sergachev he's been healthy scratch for the past two games brian he was supposed to take over the top power play duties with headman out we were all like everyone rushed to grab sergachev if he was available i was even like he's probably not available i hope that he wasn't available because anyone who rushed to grab him had to sit through two healthy scratches which must have been very frustrating instead it was strawman there on the top power play of course he had no points to show for it Jake Dodgson was on the second power play also with nothing. So that's pretty strange that Sergachev got benched. But obviously the coach knows what he's doing because they won both of those last two games very handily. Anyways, I guess at this point, it doesn't really matter. We've heard news that Hedman might be coming back in early February. They said three to six weeks for his injury. It's looking like it's going to be closer to three. So Sergachev probably just goes back to power play two. I don't know. What do you think is going to happen with Sergachev though? Like, are you still as high on him for the second half of the season as you were before? Forgetting about the Hedman injury, but just as the second power play defenseman, Like, are you worried about these healthy scratches or do you think it was just a lesson being taught to a rookie, but everything's going to go back to the way they were?
1: This is a lesson being taught to a rookie. In Sergeyev's last game before getting scratched, he saw 65% of shot attempts while he was on the ice coming against him at even strength. That's very bad. And he also took a two minute minor that had two minutes added onto it when he showed it at the ref and threw a towel. So that's why he's probably headed back up to the press box for a little while. This is just temporary. Uh, You know, he'll learn he'll get better whatever like that's what the coach is saying honestly he'll come back and keep doing his thing i think you can still rely on him to play regularly consistently and be able to put up a 40 point pace the rest of the way
0: yeah that'd be great hey and the coach is saying that's why you never throw in the towel at the referee That's terrible yeah I'm, i'm pulling the brian right now so you have to start doing an impression of me now to even things up okay let's go to toronto you suck Okay. All right. I mean, come on. Let's not be crass, Brian.
1: <laughs> That's my impression of you.
0: <laughs> Please. That's very hurtful. Okay. Morgan Riley has been injured on the Leafs. He might be coming back soon. But with him injured, Jake Gardner has been on fire. He's currently on a five game point streak where he's put up nine assists in those five games two of those on the power play do we expect jake gardner to go back to his previous pace of barely half point per game once riley is back or is this actually just something new we're seeing and there's a chance that jake gardner can keep this up like should he be owned in most leagues at this point if you added jake gardner is it time to move on when riley comes back or do you think he's going to keep this up
1: no you can expect him to go back to what he was doing before jake gardner nine of his last 12 points have been secondary assists including seven of nine on this specific run you're talking about. And uh, also, so of course, secondary assists are, can be considered noise, uh, not something you can repeat. And, you know, you might just be getting in on on those goals by luck. Uh, anyway, I haven't seen each goal, but it's usually an indicator that what we're seeing isn't totally real. The other change that has happened to Jake Gardner since Morgan Riley is out, he's uh, playing with Ron Hainsey, and... I find his sudden scoring success with Ron Hainsey weird, but hey, whatever's working, uh, great. I don't expect whatever Gardner's doing to last, regardless of Riley being in or out of the lineup.
0: Yeah, Brian, you know, Ron Hainsey, we we haven't mentioned him this year, but since you mentioned him, he's been pretty good for hits and blocks, by the way. If you're in a bangers and match league, you could probably do a lot worse than Ron Hainsey. And Ron Hainsey's been playing huge minutes, 25 plus minutes lately. So the Leafs are really leaning on him I, the Leafs are definitely going to really be happy to get Riley and Nikita Zaitsev back. Apparently, Zaitsev's going to be back soon. That's going to help their defense. Maybe they won't have to rely so much on Ron Hansey. Okay, but since we're on the Leafs, by the way, William Nylander is on a really nice run back with uh, Austin Matthews. And they're both doing well. Nylander had a goal and three assists in his last four games. Uh, put him down for another one of my second half upswings i know people are probably also worried about mitch marner who has disappointed in the first half i'm not as excited about marner but i do think nylander should go on my list of players who i think are gonna have better second halves than first halves helps to be playing with austin matthews of course i wish i could say the same about jvr who has only one assist in his last six games but he's been bad. Like I say, I don't know if he's going to be able to have a second half bounce back. He does have 22 shots over those six games, so that's good. I imagine something's got to go suit. but that said, he's been playing with Brown and Bozak in recently, and that's obviously not the best pair of line mates. Maybe JVR is a guy who's going to get traded at the deadline.
1: Maybe. I don't know, but I'm with you. That Nylander is going to have a better second half than first, and that JVR may not.
0: All right, so that's it for Leafs talk. Now we're definitely near the end of the alphabet. Brian, that's a lot of teams. 31 teams... you know when you when you go through them one at a time you realize this is a pretty big league with lots of stuff going on lots to talk about but now we're on the Vancouver Canucks they've been tinkering with their lines a bit actually since Bo Horvat came back Brock Besser has been playing with the Sedines for a little he also played online with Horvat and Bearchie for a bit Horvat saw some time with Ericsson and Vanek. so we're gonna have to wait and see how things land once everything settles where are you right now with these like older players on the Canucks that are not Sedines? like so basically I'm talking about Louis Ericsson and Thomas Vanek. Ericsson has had a couple big multi-point games lately, but not much otherwise. Vanek, pretty much the same. Are you interested in either of them, you know, relative to all these other potential free agents that have been available that we've been talking about? I know know this is actually kind of a boring question, but there's nothing really much to ask about the Canucks.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we've covered them. I think we've done a pretty good job of covering them. Uh, Vanek, he's a 92% IPP this year, which is too high. That's going to regress. He's also down to 14 minutes of ice time per game. So it's going to be hard for him to keep up a 60-point pace with IPP regression and low minutes. I see him playing more towards a 50-point pace the rest of the season. So I have, like, some interest in Thomas Vanek, but not as much as his point totals may entice you to have. Uh, Louis Erickson, honestly, not a whole lot of interest there. Less than Vanek. He gets a couple shots per game, but I'm not seeing any reason that he's going to suddenly break out this year and significantly outperform his weak first half. And uh, just a bonus fact to throw in, Henrik Sedin, 44 games played, 38 shots. What a guy.
0: How many assists? I know that Dave has always said that it's a great patron, Dave, from the stream scheme, which has very irregular episode schedule, but I like it when it comes out. Anyway, uh, he likes to point out that Sedin might be able to get this elusive stat of having more assists than shots on the season, but I think he got a shot or something recently and that like really made it harder (laughs) for him.
1: It's a real bummer when he gets those shots. Right now, he needs eight more assists. He has 30 right now to catch his shot totals. I'm rooting for it.
0: That's going to be hard, but that would be pretty funny if it happens. Okay, let's go to the Vegas Golden Knights, the second best team in the NHL right now, according to the overall standings. But the number one best team in my heart, especially if Daniel Negrano is listening. Love the Vegas Golden Knights. So Marc-Andre Fleury. Like I said, he has a 9.42 save percentage and 12 wins in 18 games. He's been phenomenal. You said before that Mike Smith is the most reliable goalie in fantasy right now. I was planning to ask you, who would you rather have over Fleury right now for the rest of the year? I feel like Flurry's the goalie that I'd be most happy to own, which is crazy. Like, maybe Holtby. I don't know. But at least, like, Flurry's tier one at this point, right? Like, if we were doing more goalies right now for the rest of the year and tiering our goalies, how could you not have Marc-Andre Fleury? in tier one i'm interested to know like what should people do with him in a keeper league like do you sell like super high on him right now or do you think that vegas is going to keep us up for like for years to come like don't they have a whole bunch of great prospects like i remember back at the time of the draft like, the expansion draft and the entry draft they were like everyone was saying oh they did a terrible job with the expansion draft but like they've got all these great prospects that they drafted for in the actual entry draft so they're gonna have a really bright future Maybe Marc Andre Fleury becomes a really good keeper option for many years. Though I guess he's getting older, so who knows how long he'll actually last. And Malcolm Subban is a good backup. What's your take right now on Marc Andre Fleury in a keeper league?
1: In a keeper league, well, he is 33 years old. I'll say in 34, close to the beginning of next season. I don't know. He won the save streak at the All Star Game. How does that does that do it for you? I think he's probably a good option. Vegas is looking like legitimate contenders. And I believe if they're legitimate contenders this year, they'll be able to still be legitimate contenders next year. How many more years Flory can give you um, could be skeptical. Like after this one, two, maybe three, we'll have to see how, uh, how the Golden Knights evolve and what happens to their squad going forward. But uh, he, he's up there. He's up there as a good option, but I would rather have Holtby
0: yeah but it would be tough like it would be a tough keeper decision like what if you have like gibson and frederick anderson and flurry let's say like gibson is the young guy so even forget about frederick anderson but, like gibson versus flurry like right now you definitely want flurry this year even though gibson has been fine gibson also has some injury issues but he like he's like so much younger so it'd be tough to make that decision in a keeper league i won't ask you to make it that's okay maybe in a future episode or in the summer of course we'll do our big smorgas episode this summer in our summer series we got a lot of hockey to play before we get to that and brian on vegas uh so right now we've got so william carlson and david perron all above seven Point paces. I know you don't like answering questions about if Vegas players and their production is sustainable. So let me just ask you very quickly which of these players do you think is most likely to be able to hit 70 points this year or at least have a 70 point pace? Because Perron missed some time.
1: I'm going to go with Jonathan Marchisot. And if we're going by point pace, even if Perron was healthy, I would still go Jonathan Marchisot. He's looking uh, quite sustainable with what he's doing. The one looking the least sustainable, William Carlson, who's still shooting at 27%, which is crazy and can't last. Uh, Yeah, all three of them have a little bit of regression to see in their on-ice shooting percentage. Like they're all being lifted by how successful Vegas has been at converting shots to goals, probably too successful. That's going to aggress a little bit over the rest of the season. So maybe they'll fall a little bit off their paces uh, or, well, I'm saying giving you other reasons to know that Carlson and Perron probably shooting a little bit better than he should as well. So Marge, so even though he can keep up what he's doing, maybe his line mates don't, but that's just a small dent. You can still enjoy a
0: really great season from him the rest of the way. OK, so sounds like if we put it together, you're saying Eric Carlson will bounce back and you think William Carlson's going to slow down. I wonder if any William Carlson owners should be throwing out some Carlson for Carlson trade offers and trying to buy low and sell high Carlson for Carlson. I'd love to see that trade. If you make that trade, tweet us the screenshot, because I will definitely retweet that. The, the elusive Carlson for Carlson trade, which would be impossible. Would have thought it was like crazy going into the season. Now definitely wouldn't be vetoed. I still think Eric Carlson would win. Okay, a couple teams left. We're on Washington now. Evgeny Kuznetsov left Thursday's game with apparent groin injury. Severity still unknown, so we don't know. Looks like Andrey Berakovsky got on the top power play in his absence and picked up a power play assist. Do you think he's the front runner for the job if Kuznetsov is out for a while? Earlier when Oshie was out, we saw Brett Connolly on the top power play, but I think Berkowski was injured at that time as well. So yeah, like Burkowski maybe now's his time. He's also been in the top six lately playing with Backstrom and Oshie and he's been getting better minutes. So that's good. I'm definitely not saying like people should be jumping on Andre Burkovsky right now. Maybe wait to see the line combos at least for Tuesday, see if he's still in the top six and on the top power play. But if But I feel like he's got to be considered as a flyer, especially since at the start of the year, remember everyone was talking about Burakovsky as like this was going to be his big breakout year. And then he was terrible. We told you a long time ago that he was a snoozer on the show. Maybe now's the time to get back on the horse.
1: The biggest favor you can do, well, I don't know if it's for yourself or for Andre Burakovsky, is to reset your expectations back to before the season started thinking, hey, there's a hole in the top six that he can step into and do something. Forget about the first attempt. Give him a clean slate. Let's see what he can do. I'm willing to give him that. I'm not saying it's going to work out, but it is something that we're going to be watching closely.
0: Yeah, so if you were grabbing him late in your draft as a, you know, flyer to try out, Brian's saying, do it again right now, see what happens. Obviously, we'll have to wait and see how severe this Evgeny Kuznetsov injury is. Obviously, Kuznetsov is going to be on that top power play if he's healthy. Last team, Brian, we've done 30 teams, 30 takes. How about one more team and a couple takes? I guess we've done a lot more than 30 takes at this point. Okay, things aren't looking good for Kyle Connor on the Winnipeg Jets right now. He has only one assist in his last six games, and he was bumped to line four during Tuesday's game and stayed there for the 4-3 loss on Thursday, to anaheim is he in dropsville territory for you or do you think he can pull a Nemesnikov and get back on line one sometime soon by the way, Nemesnikov went to like line three not line four it's even worse for kyle connor uh like right now the guy who took connor's spot on line one as well as shifley's spot on power play one is jack roslavich so brian i also i guess uh, as well as giving your take on kyle connor you got to tell us who the heck is jack roslavich he finally scored his first goal in his eighth game on Thursday. The fact that he took Connor's spot makes me think maybe he can continue to get some points if he's going to be on the top line of top power play. Like we were so into Kyle Connor in that spot. How can you not be into Drak Roslovich? I have
1: an answer for that in a minute. But first, it's very tempting to remain patient with Kyle Connor because if you were patient with him through the first emotion, you reaped the benefits of six points in four games that came soon after. And then he's been silent again ever since. So he definitely is getting to the point where, you know, if he doesn't get back up on the top line soon, you can treat him just like Nemesnikov. If you you were ready to drop him or if he was dropped in your league, uh, this is, uh, we're we're approaching the time where that's what you're going to do with Kyle Connor because we have not seen a change in his status for some time now. As for Jack Roslovich, He was a first rounder back in 2015 out of Columbus, Ohio, 25th overall, picked by the Jets, and he's been doing quite well in his time as a pro. He turned pro last year for the Manitoba Moose, scored 48 points in 65 games, and then this year so far, he's averaging over a point per game, 35 points in 32 games. So, hey, why not call him up, see what he can offer? I'm not sure why uh, he got the call ahead of Mason Appleton who is currently leading the Moose in scoring, but has also played more games, like 12 more games, than Jack Roslovich. Nobody else, actually Nick Pitan, has a point-per-game pace. Nobody else does, aside from Roslovich. So I guess we'll see what he does in that spot. I don't know. Connor had more of a pedigree. It was more build-up to him arriving in Winnipeg and getting that spot, which is why I have a little more faith in him being able to cash in there than I do Jack Roslovich, but I am waiting and seeing.
0: Yeah, another guy like Chris Kuditz, you know, like at least good for Daily Fantasy. Keep in mind, Roslovich for now is on the top line and top power play. I would also maybe give Connor a bit. It's tough though. Like one of our patrons rage dropped Kyle Connor. It was really funny when he posted it. Uh, And yeah, so uh maybe you could drop kyle connor but it is possible he gets back on the top line and goes on another decent run but it has been frustrating to own him lately by the way matthew perot eight points in his last eight games from line two and power play two so he's also someone that you probably want to grab if he's still available in free agency okay brian we've done it 31 teams we we went through them all how about that
1: i don't know if seattle's added will we be able to make 32
0: Ugh, maybe we'll have to start earlier or maybe do fewer takes per team. I can't help it. like once you're on a team, I feel like I want to talk about all the all the relevant things, but okay hope you guys enjoyed this show it was a pretty crazy one to prepare for but i think we had a lot of fun and i think it was a good one so i hope you liked it we actually had this whole very clever marketing idea where we were gonna make it through we thought we'd only make it through let's say 75 percent of the teams then we we're gonna be like okay we'll talk about the rest of the teams on our bonus episode for the patrons later in the week and be like, oh, you could listen to it if you become a patron but then we decided no we want it to be nice so we just gave you all 31 teams But you could still thank us by becoming a patron. We still will have our bonus episode this Thursday, where it'll be a regular mailbag show where we'll answer questions from the patrons. We always have a lot of fun. We also have other perks if you want to support the show. By the way, you can also support the show, not for the perks, just to buy Brian or I like a beer. Like one of us gets a beer every month if you like the show and want to support us. So check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron. See what you can get. But okay, uh, what else? You can follow us on Twitter. I've said that a bunch of times, at Keeping Carlson. We always love five-star iTunes reviews, if you'd be so kind. But with that, I will stop rambling and let's cue that outro music. And Brian, why don't you go ahead and free us the credits? Okay. This
1: episode of the Keenan Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our wonderful, amazing, fantastic patrons. It was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Corsica, Natural Stat Trick, Charting Hockey, HockeyGoalies.org, Hockey Reference, Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Fantrax.
0: Great job as always Brian. Always a pleasure to talk to you on Sundays and Thursdays. Looking forward to doing it all again next week. Until then, keep on keeping Carlson.